On this episode of Movies Ruin My Life, Brent comes late and Paula leaves early, but that's not going to stop us from having a really gratifying conversation about one of the greatest of all time, Stanley Kubrick. This is Paula. Hi. This is East. Hello. Uh, Devin is off screen, but on mic. Hello. Kind of on screen. And Brent is on his way. He's and here this, in spirit. Yeah, he's here in spirit, <laughs> and he'll be here in actual real life form shortly. Um, and Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one I've been excited to do for a while. Uh and and one that's it's really cool to actually have a photographer here for because usually you hear me complaining about sound in film and these sorts of things and no one gives a fuck because it's a moving picture but um the other thing that we always do this is the third director that we've we've actually talked about uh you know specifically their body of work and we always kind of go through and pick apart the things that they do well and the things that they don't do well or their strengths weaknesses etc and this guy is just good at everything. Mm-hmm. And for me... <laughs> Unanimous. Yep. Uh-huh. And, and for me, I think a lot of the source of that is from the fact that in his early life, he was a photographer, you know? And I, I think that it uh, it's also interesting that he, for me, isn't a, a director, like we talked about with Spielberg, like we've talked about with um, both Tarantino and PTA, that um, relies on on strengthening an actor's performance or or not. Um, Devin, you alluded to a little bit off screen or before we started rolling that uh, you know a lot. Of, uh, he, he's an interesting director in that he he goes for multiple takes. He he uh, like multiple multiple takes and also um, sometimes tricks his actors into doing things. <laughs> oh, real yeah hard. yeah real hard. So. Um, He's a guy for me that there's only a handful of roles in his entire body of work that 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 actor is needed to make that role work. Everyone else is interchangeable for me, and and I think that there's something beautiful about that because it's uh, and something completely different than everyone else working in Hollywood, where it's it's the the aesthetic and the story and um, the the subcontextual messages that matter so heavily with this guy, mm-hmm. and I. I I love it. I love it. Um, <clears throat> I think a good place to start off because we've got a we got the most people ever that we've had on a panel would be to go around and just do a quick first experience and favorite all in one mm-hmm. um, of Kubrick. If that's okay. Is that groovy with everyone? Groovy. We just released the uh, the Evil Dead episode, so this is when we're recording it. If you need to put a a, a timestamp on how far off we record these from the release date, and uh, so I can't stop saying groovy. <laughs> In any case, uh, can we start off with you, Paula? Sure. Let's do it. Um, first experience and your favorite. Okay, so first experience would have been Clockwork Orange, right on. which was borderline traumatizing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it was really interesting because I'd never seen anything like that before. Yeah. Uh, but I honestly, I don't think I could pick a favorite Kubrick movie. I mean, The Shining's always stood out to me because the cinematography is just so amazing. And there's so many holes in that movie Like yeah. when it comes to the visuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
I love all of them. Lita, I, I like all the movies. The uh, the shot that always resonates for me is the uh, when they're when they're following the tricycle or the yes, little, and they go around the corner and that just like perfect framing. It just it's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's literally the epitome of a moving picture. Like you couldn't have painted that better. That was. It, the first uh, Steadicam shot done that low. Apparently, they retrofitted yeah. uh, like a wheelchair <laughs> just to do that, just so they could follow the kid around and, and have that shot. So it was really cool. You don't get that. And yeah. nowadays, it's a lot easier to get that. But back then, those 1980 when it was released, yeah, exactly. that you hadn't seen it before. Right. Yeah, he's he, all of his work. His, uh, there's a great um, interview on YouTube with Spielberg talking about. Uh, his camera work and just the dolly shots and the crane shots and how he achieved things that that people don't think of doing and obviously there's there's tons of articles on him with uh um you know his framing and his uh, uh perspective wide shots yeah lots of wide shots so you get the feel of the room like you yeah. really feel like you're there when you're watching it you get the feel of the room and he shows you how you should view the movie just with the shots yeah which is really neat it's interesting yeah it, mm-hmm. it's all tension building it's all beautiful east was it you and i that were having a conversation off air about the one point perspective thing and how like there's all of these uh, artists, particularly mm-hmm. um, you know uh, people who draw and people who paint, mm-hmm. who look at his films and and look at that that single missing point on the horizon line and realize, okay, this guy has a a heightened understanding of the yeah. visuals. Yeah, because just uh, there's a there's a movie and then there's a Kubrick movie. Yeah, there's and that's something special. Isn't yeah, it? and that's what it is. It's all in those shots. And the funny thing is when you watch like a because of that, like perspective, it's there's certain movies where you're like, that was a wicked scene, that was a wicked scene, yeah. that was a wicked scene. But then you watch like The Shining, and you're like, everything in there is shot beautifully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You watch, you know, Doctor Strangelove, everything in yeah. there is shot. And the camera is defining the tension. Yeah. It, yeah. With, yeah. The time he sticks on a shot, or or the movement of the camera, all of these things Just, are are driving your focus, and it. We talked about we've talked about the camera usage with a handful of different directors, and one thing that I love about Kubrick is a lot of the times, with the exception, ironically, of the film that I selected to nominate, which we'll get to in a minute, um, he it feels like you're on a roller coaster a little mm-hmm. bit, doesn't it? Absolutely. You're you're literally you're strapped in, you're on the ride, and I think that's why it's so hard to turn off a Kubrick film. Like I've lost hours of my life. You know, people <laughs> people are like, you want to go somewhere? And I'm, you know, well, in two hours and 47 minutes, mm-hmm. I will be there. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of thing. Yeah, he takes his time showing yeah. you what he wants to show you. And it, that's a good thing because it forces you to feel the moment, feel the scene, really be in it, right? He doesn't yeah. like pan around. You, you're forced to watch something for a while, which is what's really neat about it. Yeah. East, first and favorite. Um, first was Full Metal Jacket when I was 15. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, brother bought a DVD player for like the family, and that was one of the movies that we had. And um, that was the first time I really I, – I didn't know of uh, you know Vincent D'Onofrio like, really at the time. Oh, and, like, yeah, and he's the man. Yeah, I only – in my mind, when I saw him first on the screen, I'm like, is that Thor from Adventures in Babysitting? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, and then you watch that performance, and you're like, oh, my God. And that was you know like the first – serious war movie i really watched at that time yeah um and i love how that that movie also is a, is a parable for just regular life in a lot of perspectives it's not necessarily w- which you can say about all uh 
Kubrick films, which is so amazing because you're looking at this one subject, but what he's delivering to you subcontextually uh, is just a, a plethora of questions that you can apply to any situation. It's kind of an open-ended moral code, mm-hmm. even with mm-hmm. Clockwork Orange or some of his more risque films, as you might say, or you know, Eyes Wide Shut even, which a lot of people bag on. But I think there's a lot of really interesting subcontextual um, uh, thought-provoking content. Yeah, and I think there. I think a lot of people really just pick on Eyes Wide Shut strictly because they're uncomfortable in their own relationship at the time. Yeah, and it's so real in mm-hmm. dealing with long-term relationships and marriage that people don't want to have to accept some of those very re- like the reality of yeah you know advanced love like that who you doesn't know? want to be at that party right yeah. everyone wants to be yeah, yeah everyone wants to be there with that mask on we all live vicariously through that movie yeah and then i would have mm-hmm. to say personal favorite um dr strange love yeah. because it wasn't until i watched that when i was around like i was 20 and i was like man this movie shape my life without me even knowing how much it really shaped my life yeah because it's so the humor and it's just so mm-hmm. sharp and it's so like come on man like there's no fighting in here this is the war room <laughs> like <laughs> come on man that's that's so good and it's just uh it's just brilliant and there's so many looney like looney tunes rips it off so well yeah. and yeah it's just a great great comedy yeah you know it's amazing um devin Actually, before you get into it, Devin, I wanted to quickly jump on to something that, that East said in that, it, like, you only recently saw Full Metal Jacket for the first time, correct? Yeah. 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 Um, probably about, um, what, like six months ago or something? Or? Yeah, because I remember having a conversation yeah. with yeah. you about it and just you being so in awe of the fact that you somehow stayed away from this movie for so long completely accidentally. Yeah. 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 I mean, it wasn't um, wasn't conscious. Uh you know, or, or anything like that. And I've always loved, um, uh, Kubrick, but I did find it like really, really late. Uh, and I think the first movie that I saw was 2001. Um, and the, the first two thirds of that movie I, I loved, but I mean, at the time, I think I was, I was a little bit too young to appreciate, um, the, the last third, (laughs) which gets, gets pretty weird. Um, for me, it was uh, the first third, (laughs) but, um, you know, I I guess that that um, you know prevented me from really looking uh, looking further uh, into it until until much later. I mean, I think I saw The Shining for the first time maybe when I was twenty one, twenty two. Um, oh wow! Saw Strange Love probably around uh, twenty four or twenty five, and that one definitely sticks out as as my favorite. Yeah, um, just uh, like the heaviest topic possible uh, at the time and and just making you know like a, a really uh like a, a a thought-provoking comedy um is i mean it's not an easy task unto itself uh, and especially with with such a, a divisive topic of of the time it's it's, it's incredible yeah but um but yeah i mean i guess i guess my first experience would have been 2001 right on uh and favorite uh absolutely uh strange strange love, love. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, wow, this is not going to be interesting at all. My first is Strange Love, mm-hmm. which I saw, I think, when I was 12 and oh, didn't wow. understand what the hell I was seeing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I was in awe of Peter Sellers even then, you know, because someone, I can't remember who it was, but obviously I was very much given a walkthrough of the film. Mm-hmm. 
um, not from the perspective of, of, you know, of being a Kubrick film, but from the perspective of all these great roles that Peter Sellers played throughout. Um, and my favorite, it's, it's a hard one, but I think I'm, I'm landing on strange love as well. I think it's simply on the basis that it's, it's the movie that I watched the most. Now I know it's not the movie that I'm nominating, but uh, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. Now we keep referring, or I keep referring to the whole nomination thing, so I should explain this much in the way that we did with the Tarantino episode. We're each going through, and we're going to nominate a film out of Kubrick's catalog that we feel is um, a great film to show to a first-time viewer of Kubrick, and uh, then highlight its strengths, its weaknesses, have a fun conversation, what have you. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, and what I also thought would be an interesting way of doing it would be if we do, uh, we bounce back and forth between oldest to newest and then back to second oldest and then second newest and so on because there's five of us so we can skew the timeline a little bit. Um, <clears throat> before we go to break, because we're going to try and keep these segments a little bit shorter, uh, any honorable mention stuff that you want to get in there? I did want to go back to Full Metal Jacket for a second um, and just mention that amazing scene in the barracks mm-hmm. you know with the whole like this is my gun it's much like other people's gun and, and but, this, or, but this one is mine this one is mine <laughs> and yeah a, a, amazing scene Devin, i'd never read up on it but you mentioned that um lee ermy yeah that he yeah. ad-libbed that whole thing he he was a drill instructor yeah. uh and and just the you know all of that uh was was completely off the cuff he's he's uh just uh <laughs> just just an amazing hilarious abuser of people i guess <laughs> like uh and and i mean i think his his performance really does stand out in that movie too as as probably the the most um powerful in my mind anyway yeah and like, it's one of those performances i alluded to that i think you can't replicate with another actor yeah like, yeah along with jack nicholson and the shining which is interesting i heard that he was uh he was kind of channeling a little cagney in there well apparently he wasn't even a good choice for the role because yeah. he had just done cuckoo's nest yeah so everyone already saw him as a crazy person mm. which took away from him falling into madness at the hotel yeah right so yeah yeah no absolutely yeah interesting that's really interesting because i yeah. would have thought that because watching cuckoo's nest jack nicholson is very like i almost looked at him like a real human being that just just yeah. trying to you know pull a fast one on life mm-hmm. you know but uh when he turned that switch on and shining you know yeah. it's incredible. yeah it looked crazy but because he had been in a movie about yeah. insane people apparently stephen king didn't like the fact that he was chosen for yeah shining but then he didn't like that a lot sense. of things. He the hated shining. the shining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Ah <laughs> uh, well, okay. I have a problem with that, but we we've got into that in other episodes. So with like a, with writers commenting on other writers' adaptation of their work when they've themselves borrowed from other topics oh, yeah. and other writers' work. That is, that is a good point to touch on too. Before we get into individual films, though, is that in general. People who are involved in Kubrick's films hate what he's done. Yeah. And yet these movies are are so universally um appreciated. Yeah. But it seems like it's such a common uh a common element in, in you know, when when you look back on on uh writers that were involved or or uh actors that were involved with his films that that 
so often you find people that that were just so so upset with what happened <laughs> like with with <laughs> like is, there are there are easily like a couple handfuls of people that will never work with Kubrick again oh, yeah. no, like, exactly. um, like uh olive oil what was her name the actress uh Shelley Duvall yeah so yeah. Shelley Duvall apparently on the set of the shining uh Kubrick and Shelley would just she was like a baby on set, apparently, mm. and Kubrick was just known for just fucking yelling at her, <laughs> degrading her, making her cry. But at the same time, you it's wouldn't what have, he needed though to yeah. get that performance yeah. out of her when Jack Nicholson is breaking through that wall. Like, mm-hmm. could you like you could almost see the stress on her face of like days of stress at yeah. Kubrick yeah. just fucking unloaded on her. Yeah, as much as I'm saying that he, you know, he he isn't a director that heightens performances, he is a director that heightens films mm-hmm. on the whole and 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 one thing that he he very much is is a student of the human condition. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I think all of us can respect that, you know, whether like you know for for playing music and and so forth, like we're all musicians uh and it's uh, and we all love like fucking poetry and all these things. You know, mm. we're, all, we're all a bunch of shoegaze kids or something. I don't know. <laughs> In any case, but it's uh, it's so interesting to watch a guy who you know a lot of his roles, like I said, I feel are interchangeable. But at the same time, you know that from these stories that you're alluding to, Devin, behind the scenes, he's getting so much out of his actors just by kind of like literally turning them into puppets. Mm-hmm. Like it's literally the Stanley Kubrick <laughs> show. Yeah, you know. Well, genuine human emotion is not like acting. You can act things out, but when mm. it's genuine and you can see it in someone's eyes, I think that's what makes this movie so important, like, yeah, so absolutely. amazing that you can see the frustration. And as you were mentioning, that scene where she's um, in The Shining, where Wendy is swinging the bat, like mm. apparently they shot that, what, 120 times or something? Yeah. They, they, like you broke a record. She was <laughs> losing her mind. So when, like, what you actually see in the movie is her literally just broken down (laughs) she can't handle it anymore you know she's those are real tears real frustration and that's you really feel it yeah watch it and she'll she never worked with him again (laughs) there's a whole bunch of them who's the guy on uh, strange love that that uh i'm trying to think you were telling me the story Uh, george c scott will never work with kubrick (laughs) yeah 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 uh he uh he was told that um, his his takes were just exercises. Um, that, that he wanted he wanted him to really play it up, uh, play up the character. Uh, it was George uh, Turgeson, uh, Major Turgeson, the the um, uh, American general that that has a mistress and is always chewing gum in the movie. Um, uh, he. Um, uh, he was was playing his role a little bit too flat. Uh, Kubrick thought so. So he just told him it was an exercise. These these takes would just be thrown out. They were just you know to kind of get him in in the spirit of of uh, of the role. And then those are the only takes that he used. So he's just he's just overacting his character so much, and under the assumption that these these shots are never going to be seen. Yeah, by it's anybody. just a, it's warm ups. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. amazing. And, and it's it's something that I don't know that you would see uh, too much in 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 modern film. I mean, there's there's just such like um, well, uh, Spielberg sanctity. has that story about um, Drew Barrymore where he didn't tell her that E. T. was a uh, was a puppet. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah. So she like legitimately was super sad. Oh, oh my that's god! Adorable. <laughs> that's terrifying. <laughs> I wonder why she's a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> she's traumatized. Yeah. 
I mean, I I think that's that's a license that a director should have that that the sort of sanctity mm. that's put in you know into actors these days, like or the the you know the the kind of um, you know the the uh, just the Hollywood machine kind of kind of putting so much importance on on the actors, um, you know, might might be might be preventing a little bit more than it than it was at, at that point in time. I don't know. It's, it seems like it anyway. Mm-hmm. I think the whole know? political correctness thing also kind of falls in. You just can't mm-hmm. do that anymore. Like, yeah. You can't just trick yeah. people into doing things. You'll get a lawsuit. It'll be a big yeah. thing. Well, there like, was uh, death threats and so forth for Clockwork Orange, right? There was a ton of uh, upheaval. He, he actually was the one who elected it to, to pull it out of theaters in England. Yeah. So the, and I believe even in the American market, they did some re some cuts for the theatrical release mm-hmm. the original and they only showed it in theaters in uh, like after he passed they they did a re-release in theaters mm-hmm. and that was the first time the uk actually saw the film as it was originally intended which is so fucking strange i'm pretty sure there's also a... <laughs> although it would be x-rated nowadays mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure there's a hardcore uh cut that was released in the states in the bible belt yeah, which cut like some of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Heavily offensive. <laughs> that movie it's a would comedy. be five <laughs> seconds long. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. <laughs> like watching The Sopranos on credits packs. roll. And- <laughs> <laughs> <That's it. laughs> Thank you for coming. Melissa, Thank you for your twelve dollars. <laughs> it's funny you should mention the tricking of the actors because. Mm. Um, in The Shining, apparently, Danny Lloyd, the the boy Danny, who, by the way, like never made movies again ever because yeah. nobody wanted him for anything else. Uh, he didn't even know it was a horror movie. He actually didn't watch the movie until he was 16. <laughs> he thought it was a drama, right? So all that stuff with the blood and you watch him. And he, when he watched it, he was like, oh, I had no idea because cool, yeah. he didn't know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Brent is here, everyone. <laughs> Hello, Brent. Hello. <laughs> Pretty excited about that. Ooh, can I hear myself? Yeah. Is it working? Oh, right. yeah. Eric, I'll speak there's, up. There's that sexy voice. voice. <laughs> yeah, no, I heard that story about, about him, and it, it's brutal, and I can't even imagine. No, man. That's like the kid on the Nirvana cover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brent, what you've missed so far, and I want you to jump in on it uh, before we uh, wrap up this segment. Um, quickly, first uh, experience with Kubrick and favorite. Just real quick. Oh, man. Experience, it, it comes down to, like, fuck, I, I don't even know where... I think the entry point was watching The Shining in my parents' basement and my mom knowing I was watching it <laughs> and remember seeing it when it came out in theaters and she's like, oh, have fun with that. <laughs> and, you know, like, just that, that whole thing. But, I mean, for, for me, immediately, I guess I was old enough that... Um, I don't know, it was just, I was blown away. It was one of those things where it was just like... Everything about this is gorgeous and unsettling, and I don't know what to do with it. And then when I found out when everything was made, I was like, "Holy fucking shit!" <laughs> like, so no, it's just it's impressive. It's a it's a unique body of work that I think everybody should at least delve into. And I guess that's kind of why we're here, right? Where do you that start? Is why we're here? Uh, yeah. Was, was there a second part of that question? I forgot. Um, favorite. <laughs> oh, favorite. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. Um, AI. <laughs> uh, Serious though. Um, actually, I think uh, I have a pretty. Uh, solid history with a clockwork orange person. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Why does that make sense? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You've known me for too long, and everything just came to know? focus. And just yeah, no. <laughs> um, okay, before we go to break, I just want to quickly touch on uh, a few that I I already know that we aren't getting to, and the one that I want to touch on uh, 
Jess, who was here for the PTA episode, her boyfriend is a huge fan of Barry Lyndon. And none of us elected Barry Lyndon, which, <laughs> you know, I, I can understand. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to point out how amazing that film is to look at. It's it's aesthetically so pleasing. The camera work, the ingenuity, and what he did uh, to get a lot of those visuals is is unbelievable. Um, we're also not touching on Eyes Wide Shut. I already expressed, I think, that some of the best things about that are what's going on subcontextually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's a really fun rewatch. Um, I didn't know that was an option. Oh, you no, didn't? No, just oh. Joking. I also, <laughs> I also have a, um, a really strong fondness for the killing. Um, because I, I don't know, it's, it's like, uh, there, with the exception of the narrative element of it, the the voiceover, which mm. I fucking hate, <laughs> um, that movie is just uh, it's it's stunning uh, story wise. You know, it that's a movie that I I accidentally came across on like archive.org or something like mm-hmm. that, and have since watched like four hundred fucking times, like just an obscene amount of times. You know, like my life is my life is now <laughs> considerably shorter as a result of <laughs> viewings of the killing you could have done so much yeah I, know. I could be a doctor right now exactly brent yeah it possibly ruined your life yeah movies oh. did ruin my life yeah. oh, it's dude. like that scene in family guy it's like there it is there it is there's the title he's a family yeah. oh god <laughs> any any uh, any of the honorable mentions you guys want to touch on before we go to break come back and get into this I'm good. You're good? Everyone else is good? I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, like, Eyes Wide Shut is one of those ones where I was really excited to see it. Mm. And, and I mean, not just because it's it's beautiful in many different ways and that kind of thing. It's just, it's it's a terrible entry point. It is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I also don't think anyone should ever watch Spartacus first. I, <laughs> I think that that does not have his fingerprint on it, him coming mm. in so late in the production. It's a pain mm. in the ass for me to... Um, introduce that to someone and have to explain that it's a kubrick film yeah because it's a good movie it's a damn good movie Mm -hmm. but it's you know i don't even consider it a kubrick movie yeah you know it's i I wasn't until doing research for this show that i was like oh yeah he did do spartacus because it's not like one of those movies that you look at on the dvd and you're like kubrick collection (laughs) spartacus that's exactly it i mean like and this is something i think uh and i talked about before all this like the other day was just like everything pre lolita is is just feels just it's it's a not just a different era but it's like a different filmmaker it's 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 formative you know yeah. what i mean like we we haven't really gotten to know like the post 2001 kubrick so i mean like going to anything like that you're just kind of like unless you're like a film student yeah mm-hmm. you're not really going to want to start there yeah you know it's interesting, though. Um, I heard a, a great story, and I hadn't even considered this. In that same clip I was talking about, that YouTube clip that I saw of Spielberg talking about Kubrick, mm-hmm. and he talked about uh, um, when he had passed away. And um, he talked about a bunch of people coming over to his house that night when, not when Spielberg's still with us, mm-hmm. <laughs> when Kubrick passed away. <laughs> and uh, and a bunch of people were over at his house that night, and and they were all talking about Stanley intensely, and um, they decided, you know, like w- what what is the or they were discussing what is the definitive, uh, you know, moment in his work, and they picked that final sequence in Paths of Glory, mm-hmm. um, and and it's such an interesting um, 
film out of his catalog to pick out because you know one thing that is interesting is to go back to that one point perspective thing that we were talking about that's obviously the earliest uh, appearance of that kind of framing that we see mm-hmm. um uh and and there's there actually is a lot of emotional undertone and subcontextual messages and all this stuff that I keep like fucking saying over and over again in there for the very first time I feel like when I go back through his catalog I think it did start to come together there and it is so very interesting that you can go right through to 99 and say you know every, with the exception of Spartacus perhaps every film thereafter even being so different there's something about the aesthetic something about the the sound editing something about the editing itself which he is in you know he is the man Mm -hmm. um that just has that same heartbeat you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. and it's beautiful so i i think this is a good time to to take it to break Mm -hmm. all right so we're going to come back in a second we're going to elect our um entry point for a new kubrick viewer I just want to remind everyone to visit our website, moviesruinmylife.com. And we're just getting started with all of this, so send us your ideas. What do you want to hear on the show? What do you want to see on our site? Get in touch with us. Tell us what you think. Tell us off. Whatever. Moviesruinmylife.com, that's where you're going to find us. So we're back, and um, usually I like to go last, but this time around I'm going to go first. Because my movie has no chance at at uh, winning any any listeners' approval on this, I don't think. Although I I do truly kind of believe it is a good entry point. Um, and the film I'm nominating is Lolita, 1962's Lolita. Good choice. I I love this movie, and it's so weird because um, I had just seen uh, North by Northwest the first time I saw it, mm-hmm. so I showed up, you know. Uh, at my grandma's house and was like rooting through her film collection and whatnot. I was like, Ooh, what's this? You know, James Mason, uh, he's the bad guy in North by Northwest. And, um, (laughs) I was really not prepared for what I was getting into. (laughs) You know, the, the, as the credits rolling, I love just like the foot, the foot and the, the painting, the toenails Mm -hmm. over the credits. It's, it's, it perfectly contextualizes the, where the film is going. I think there's so many things uh, about this film that are interesting uh, from a, a studious kind of perspective. I think that uh, that one-point perspective thing that we keep alluding to um, isn't as prevalent here. And I think that that's a really interesting uh, point. I think um, them making Lolita a little bit older in the in the film uh, definitely helped with the American market because it's mm-hmm. already a risque enough subject matter. And at the time. Yeah. <laughs> this is, you know, so in the book, she's like 12. Right. Mm-hmm. And then in, in the movie, she's like 14, which I think was, uh, Sue Lyon's actual age at the time. Is that correct? I think something around there. Between 14 and 16. Yeah. yeah something yeah, something like, that. like that. But I know they cast her because she actually looked older as well. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when I first saw this film, I was like her age. So I was totally like, this girl is a babe. Thanks. And and then even now I watch the film and I'm like, this girl is a babe. I'm, you know, don't tell anyone I said that, though, except for the entire <laughs> internet. In jail. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it's so weird because it very much is what, I guess, what Nabokov was trying to accomplish with 
the book in the sense that like which isn't a, a factor in the movie i realize and i should be looking at my notes right now because now i'm going to go off on a departure to about the book but uh you know the whole the whole uh segment where obviously he had a young love that you know was or died at a young age uh you know that whole he didn't get to have sex with her i guess is a big deal <laughs> so you know and that's like the uh he, it, as he gets older his his attraction to um uh to younger girls is very much um for humbert like uh um he's he's stunted he's stuck in that time he's stuck in that that moment of sexual first sexual maturity that happened for him at like 14 15 years old so while that's taken away from the film the things that are really interesting about this film and why i do think that it is a prevalent uh work in his catalog and one that is interesting to show to people first is because of the fact that you have this forbidden love you have um kind of a vulgar um uh undertone to some things and it's really fucking funny you know this movie is hilarious when you go back and watch it obviously uh this was right before strange love right Mm. so uh obviously peter sellers um quilty Mm -hmm. fantastic and much more uh, of a developed character um, than in the book, um, I also like how they scale back the whole nymphets thing because it's it's irrelevant. You know, mm-hmm. just mention it in one journal entry. It's perfect. I think it's a fantastic adaptation. Um, one thing that's interesting is Nabokov has like the the sole screenwriting uh, credit on this film, mm-hmm. but the original script that he brought to them was four hundred fucking pages. <laughs> so to put in context, yeah, every page of a script is like one minute approximately of a film. <laughs> So, so so let's go to like eight hours yeah <laughs> so that's a long film so there was still like they did a lot of work on the script before it uh, it finally uh made it to the form that we see today the other thing that you brought up with the back to the future episode brent mm-hmm. was that this film also starts in medias res mm-hmm. right so the interesting thing there is of course you you pretty much see the conclusion of the film right off the jump and the the tension in that is how you get there mm-hmm so you get this really tense moment, and you don't understand why he despises Quilty so much. You kind of get the gist of it, but you, you, you're already locked in. You're on this ride, just like we talked about in the first segment, and you can't, you can't get away from it. You have to know, you know. And it's done so brilliantly. And he actually did have Nabokov's like sign off to to move that scene to the beginning, which is fantastic. Um, I love the. Uh, the mom in this film, who is Shelley Winters, right? Where the hell is this in my notes? Yeah, Shelley Winters. She's great because although you're not supposed to like her, <laughs> you totally feel for her. Mm-hmm. Because again, there's that that longing for a connection that she has and that she needs. And she's just this woman that's unfulfilled in her life. So as much as you can relate to Humbert and that he's completely uh, you know uh, just wants nothing to do with this lady and and obviously only in that wonderful scene that's way too over the top in the 97 remake where he first sees uh lita yeah um and 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 just is like okay how much is the room let's do this you know (laughs) was it my garden that won you over you know (laughs) yeah yeah it was your garden that's totally what it is um you're quite the saleswoman (laughs) <laughs> but uh it's there's something there's something magical about this film the performances the 
the way it's shot for a black and white film, you don't remember that it's black and white because the characters themselves and the settings are so colorful. The mm-hmm. school dance, um, the motel with the the greasy fucking uh, bell or manager that wants to be in the films, you know, and also Sellers does so much to just kind of grant this. Um, this energy of both someone that you are completely captivated by when he's on screen, but also just like terrified when he shows up like, Oh no, it's going to go all wrong. Um, and there's, there's just something that's, even though the, the subject matter seems a little taboo, it just, it's so compelling by the way, you guys can jump in at any point. <laughs> Cause I, you know, I, I, I can literally talk about this film all fucking day <laughs> Um, I've got so many notes. Obviously, the Doctor Ziff thing is like a precursor to um, to what you saw in Strange Love with Sellers' uh, mm-hmm. German character. There, um, I love the proficiency of uh, Humbert's lying. He's so he's such a great liar. And uh, we were having a conversation about proficiency and lying off there, Paula. But um, oh, great! Yeah. <laughs> and my favorite thing, just one more perverse fucking laugh of all the just. Like moments that you shouldn't, you feel as a human, you shouldn't be laughing at, but you're laughing at hysterically in the mm. film. The movie ends and you just get on screen, you just get in big fucking bold lettering, uh, Humbert died in, uh, of coronary thrombosis in prison. <laughs> <laughs> just like roll credits. It's, it's so, it's so good. Um, what else? I, I, that typewriter shot is 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 one of the the lulls in the movie for me. It sits on that fucking shot for so long, just like you know, dear father, blah blah blah. Send me money, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, I haven't been around for three years, and I, you know, you could you could be in jail right now because of me. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I. And the last thing I want to touch on before I'm going to turn this over to you guys is is um, the idea of forbidden love. And there's 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 something when you when you see that special someone you know or someone that just catches you doesn't matter like it doesn't it doesn't matter if they're forty years older than you or whatever it doesn't like there's something about that and and I love that moment at the end where um, Lolita almost kind of realizes it and it just has that you know I'm I'm sorry for all the cheating and all of the you know bullshit that uh, that I put you through and and. Humbert just like giving her all the money and the deed to the house and everything just being like I wouldn't change a fucking thing and just crying and and running off like a pansy mm-hmm. which I totally wouldn't do I'd still be there pleading. I was going to say you relate to that? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like That's I'm 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 entirely sense. enthralled. <laughs> I'm entirely enthralled and like I, I you know I it's so weird because you always joke as a man like you know monogamy blah 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 but when I fixate <laughs> on a on a woman it's it's uncontrollable like it's just like I'll do whatever, you know, here's the deed to my house. What? <laughs> so what you're saying is this is a good entry point for people like you. Yeah, for people like me. Yeah, like, again, this isn't something that you want to show to an eight-year-old as their first yeah. experience with, with uh, Kubrick. But yeah, I think if you're ideas. someone coming to the film, his film catalog a little bit later, it's an interesting point because mm-hmm. as much as there's a lot of taboo subject matter, the point of it all is the universality of of the questions that he asks you know, because you you aren't supposed to like Humbert. You aren't supposed to like the fact that he's keeping a, a diary and specifically says that he is doing it because he enjoys 
um, the thrill of it, of this diary where he's fantasizing about a young girl and making fun of the woman that he then goes on to marry so that he can hang out with this young girl. You mm-hmm. know, um, it's there's there's so much shit in this film that I think it has nothing to do with with a guy and a 14 year old girl or a woman looking for love or the fucking swinger neighbors mm-hmm. you know that are trying to get the four of them into a you know wife swap situation um none of that matters it's all the questions that kubrick asks in the film which i don't think appear in the book i don't feel like they do and i had to breeze through uh i did half of the book legit and then half of it <laughs> audio book version mm-hmm. um <laughs> while i was driving home into work um to get through it and it's you know as much as i love the book and i think there's a lot there that puts the character of humbert in a more likable situation and also makes him more dislikable i think there's something about james mason and i think about the way that they they made it work with him and kubrick just yeah i don't know it's perfect and and again that car shot i love the driving shots the driving shots are fantastic and yeah so so good so good great movie watch it first <laughs> I don't know. Do you guys want to add well, anything, no, I mean, like, or do you want to just move on? That, that's sort of it. No, I don't think we need to move on just yet because there's there's a lot to talk about there in broader strokes. Yeah. Without getting too particular about about specific scenes and that kind of thing. I mean, as much as that's important in, in the context of this conversation, yeah. um, when you bring up things like like exploring forbidden love, having a proper antihero, you know, exactly. Like this is uh, like you know, I, I, I always thought a good example was um, uh, Hank Moody in Californication. Yep. Yep. He is slime, but you cheer for him. Yeah, you know, and and you and you and want it, better from him. And just don't go past the first season, really. But I mean, but it's that kind of thing where it's just that stuff does exist, and then that's a proper thing. It's not like 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 a Dexter where it's like he's an anti hero. No, he's not. He's he's a vigilante. It's not like you know like like uh, uh, Breaking Bad where it's just like no, you're doing this to support your family. There, there's there's a there's a softening of the blow. Yeah. Whereas in something like this, there is no softening of the blow. This no. is twisted and socially unacceptable, yeah. and you're Even exploring in that it. Time, there's literally a scene where there's a pregnant girl drinking, drinking yeah. a beer. Mm. And no I mean, problem. And it's just like it's 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 it is like you were talking before about they change the age. That doesn't really matter. No, because at this point in this context, at that time in American Western culture, that kind of thing, that shit was just not acceptable. Yeah. And so it forces the audience to really adopt that perspective. And, and, you know, take on that directorial gaze and that character, uh, you know, as, as as who you are looking at this situation and how you sympathize with the people you're not supposed to sympathize with. And if you empathize, that's even one step further. That's that brings you further in. So, I mean, like as an entry point, I think it makes sense because it is um, a really good, like sort of like soft entry point yeah. without well, still being really heavy subject matter. It's a soft entry point to the body of work going forward of Kubrick because you're just like everything is kind of unsettling and kind of yeah, like not your data about killing someone. Well, yeah. It's true. <laughs> this is being recorded, right? So uh, no, no seriousness. <laughs> and it's just like Humbert that he doesn't go through with it because in the in the voiceover yep. that you hear, which generally I don't like voiceovers, but it's done so well right. that he cannot he cannot, and it's the only time in the whole film that he breaks the fourth wall and actually says folks to the audience as mm. well, which I love. Hmm. that he says, like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And then when she goes out on the street and gets hit by the car, it's like he won the fucking lottery. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have to. <laughs> oh, and, oh, man, no, it's but, I mean, fantastic. But, I mean, that, that's the thing. So, I mean, like, as as sort of, like, you know, like I said, it introduces you to the weirdness and taboo that is Kubrick. 
But at the same time, is a classic black and white movie that your parents probably watched. And so you, you don't really know. Like, again, you found this, was it, you said your grandmother's collection? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I mean, that's kind of how you need to discover it. And that's when you see this. is like, that was a little racy, and I'm kind of like into this because I'm at that age where I can actually relate to different things on different levels and be introduced to new ideas. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, what else did this guy do? You know? Exactly. Exactly. Then, I was then, so curious. And then you find the next five movies, and you're like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. It's like I, I, I think Lolita actually is a really good entry point. Yeah. Not the best because yeah. I'm gonna win this argument. And I love <laughs> that Lolita is kind of a cipher. Like it's not necessarily forbidden love at, or even like a sexual attraction to a young girl, but you mm. can you can uh, transfer that over to anything. Um, materialism. Uh, I just elbowed the table and that hurt. But like, you know, there's, you can, you can transfer the, the, the idea of this, this desperate wantonness to anything. That's pretty much my life. Yeah. Yeah, It's like all, especially in American society, you can, you're just, you want for things that's, so like, and that's that's what drives a lot of our lives and, and it's a terrible thing we're all weak-minded people i guess but at the same time it's it's why you can relate to a film like this um i did want to just quickly just before we move on uh funny moments for me uh i didn't mention when he first because he, he's lying to her about the mother being dead and he he uh so they're driving and then at one point he just gets self-frustrated and just delivers you know your mother's dead. <laughs> and she's like, no, no. And then he's like, your mother's yeah. dead. Just again, just straight. And then it just cuts to a scene where she's just in the bathroom crying. And he's and he just looks so frustrated, like, this is a waste of my fucking time. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. And when he agrees to let the guy pay for the funeral, the guy whose son hit, hit her, just like, oh, no, it's not your fault. It's okay. Well, I was going to offer to, to pay for the funeral, but and he just jumps in like, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> like that's there's so many great moments the um what was the other really good one that i liked uh um well the pregnant drinking thing the uh it was, was, yeah, was just, why i love that yeah and i also like that she finds this like simpleton and finally settles down with him despite this you know her her early there's something also for women in there because you find that early um sexuality that i think it was, wasn't addressed for women a lot in that era. You know, finding sexuality was kind of a thing. It was a taboo thing for... And, and they literally asked the question. Like, Sellers asks the question to Humbert. Like, has anyone had the conversation, like, the facts of life with her, you know? And, and, and it's so interesting. Important you know? question. Which he just, he just wants to know that because he wants to, you know, in the book, get her into kitty porn. And in the movie, um, get her into some kind of weird art can't you know film thing society weird sexy stuff but whatever well i mean but that's the thing though like you know like all of those little changes from the book not, not even little changes but like changes from the book but still have the same effect and what i was saying before about like at that time all this sort of taboo stuff and a lot of what you just said about taboo but then coupling that or juxtaposing that with all of these sort of like like just blunt lines yeah you know it's one of those things where it's just like I'm probably reaching here. I'm probably like in over, like just reading way too far into it. But I mean, by having all this taboo stuff and throwing in that sort of that, that, that very sort of like Frank, not subtle, almost comedy, that deadpan, just kind of like, no, this is what it is. Yeah. Or this mm -hmm. is what happened. Or, you know, fuck this shit. Literally is what's happening where it's just like, no, dude, we're, we're taking a comedic approach to a taboo, which is what comedy is. So does, it, does that make this a dark comedy as opposed to... Yeah, I truly you know, believe it is a black comedy. Yeah. I think it is a, it's an early kind of precursor to that. 
I really do. Uh, but that's the thing. Like, there's the a lot that... of undertones similar to say like in Bruges or something like that. Oh, God, you know? I love that movie. Mm. I do too. That's why I said it. I just want to let's just talk about that. Instead. I just want to see what you guys thought about it, so I threw it out there. Threw it out there. <laughs> if everyone's like, "Oh no," I'd be like, "Get out." <laughs> I don't think I even know anybody that doesn't like In Bruges. Yeah, I think it's impossible. <laughs> my uh, my mom bought In Bruges because she's a geog- geographer and she thought it was about Bruges. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, Which mom, it is. Don't don't show that it's to the students. It's a lovely place at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like a fairy tale. Anyway, okay, moving on. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and what you said, Brent, it really interests me because it's uh, Kubrick has a quote about how he. He talked about the struggles of getting this film made with the censors. I can and, imagine, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah and, and how, like, there was one uh, quote where he said, like, I probably just wouldn't have done it nowadays. Like, I wouldn't have been bothered. And then on the flip side, he there was another uh, quote that was really good, him talking about that um, he wasn't able to get the... the uh, enough dimensions into the relationship between Humbert and and uh, Lolita to be, which I realize is not a real name, but my brain is going blank. So it's either going to be Lolita or Sue Lyon. So you guys can beg. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, like there's there's just so much that he wanted to do and he couldn't do. And it's so interesting because that character and that relationship is so much more important in the film than it is in the book where it's just like, old guy gets boners for young girls <laughs> you know i did just want to point out on the um the movie poster that they have on wikipedia because i have it open here literally the tagline that's on it is how did they ever make a movie of yeah, yeah. That was, i remember that was, the, that was the big uh <laughs> yeah. big uh production push like the big marketing push totally. was that yeah and the it, fact it, that he might... found a way to do it right i mean yeah. that's that's your master stroke there yeah. that's kind of like i did pull this off and it is creepy and it's not what i wanted but i got this made and released widely yeah (laughs) and it was successful it actually was nominated for uh best adapted screenplay oh uh yeah so pretty pretty cool almost won an oscar which you know surprisingly oscar (laughs) snub for kubrick surprise what no (laughs) all right paula you're up next kiddo okay so i don't know why i call you kiddo because you know yeah i seriously actually that's like just (laughs) (laughs) Too much Kill Bill or something. It's okay. <laughs> so I'm nominating The Shining. And I mean, visually, it's just, it's candy. Those right? outdoor shots. Well, yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> I know. The huge shots and the, the whole hotel. And I mean, anyone that pays attention to that movie can tell that there's something horribly wrong with the way things are laid out. Like, mm. it can't exist in real life. It just mm. can't. There's doors all over the place that lead to nowhere. The rooms don't make any sense. And let's be honest, we all want to stay at that hotel. I would love to. But now I'm terrified <laughs> yeah. of being out in the wilderness and the woods. Like, who hasn't been on a road? in the forest and thought about The Shining, yeah, right? Yeah, like absolutely. That isolation thing, and it, it freaks you right out. You can really relate to um, what's happening when you're there. And it's funny because I actually, I always thought that was a really good uh, starting point for the movie, mostly because I'm very visual. As you know, I, I'm into photography, and he was into photography, and cinematography is a big thing for me. Uh, wide shots and all the visuals and that kind of like retro old look with the carpets and Oh, I, yeah. I every time I go into a building with old carpets, oh, I yeah. think of The Shining, and I love it. <laughs> I want those carpets in my house, if ever. But, but you actually yeah. don't, because once you get them in your house, you can be like, no, nope, no. Nope. <laughs> now it's like, yeah, it's, then you know they take over. More yeah. investment. But it's funny because you know I saw the movie one way, and now that I actually have little children that are around the age of Danny, 
I, I see it in a totally different perspective. I can almost understand his perspective yeah. being at the hotel. And it's like red so rum. much freaking. Well, yeah. Sorry. And I was actually mentioning I'm going to teach my kids to say red rum. Maybe not. But, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's, not. It's amazing. No, I've seen them. They look so cute. Don't ruin them, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> red rum. <laughs> but absolutely. It's just, it's such an unsettling feeling when you watch uh, children going through those things. There's something creepy about children and the whole supernatural idea, like, mm. you know, the little boy that lives in my mouth kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that just, it, it makes you uncomfortable, but you are dying to know what happens. Mm-hmm. The greatest thing I think about that movie is that, and I mean, it doesn't matter how many times you watch it, I still can't figure out what the heck happened there. Like, was he... Uh, did Jack Nicholson's character reincarnate from the guy that originally killed his kids? Was it just that he was somehow like channeling possessed it, or yeah. channeling it? Yeah, yeah, was it a haunting? Was it just the exactly, isolation? Who right? knows? Like you just don't know. Yeah, this well, like, is everyone. The story and has he exactly he's a, kind of built the story himself in his own mind? When yeah. he's in the bathroom, exactly. When he's in when the, the bathroom, the bartender shows up. What the fuck? Oh, I love that bartender. <laughs> oh, that's the best. <laughs> when he's in the bathroom and he's talking to the the hotel keeper and he's like actually it's always been you right it, that makes you yeah. wonder yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, like yeah. what the heck yep. which that bathroom it, scene is fucking it's amazing weird. aesthetically like, and also you creepy you killed your family with an axe and he's smiling like why is he smiling it's yeah. just something so odd about that so he's on the on the cusp of losing his mind but he's still there enough to know what happened you know i saw your story on the news and mm-hmm. obviously he never told his family about it because i'm pretty sure his wife wouldn't have gone yeah definitely it's it's really interesting. Uh, at the end, you know, you see that photo where he's in it, and you wonder was that always there, yeah. or yeah. it's it, the whole movie. It's just completely it it sucks you in from beginning to end. And you did mention the comic relief mm-hmm. earlier. I think personally, for me, the comic relief is Wendy, his wife. She's just so <laughs> funny looking, and she's just so all over the place. Her arms all she's flailing, and like Shelly just is funny <laughs> she is funny looking. <laughs> but the wardrobe, she, she, yeah, actually, yeah, Jeez. no, it's, it's like it's funny. like she's the worst actor, and that's why she's the best actor because she's not actually the worst actor. Exactly. And you're just like you don't. It's another one of those things, not an antihero, but you're just like I don't want to care. But this is just oh god, yeah, I feel everything. Yeah. You almost don't feel bad for her, though. Like, that's you're what I'm just like, at, right? God, it's that weird dichotomy of going like back and forth, and just I don't know what to do. Well, that's the thing. She's so goofy, and like it's like she catches on way too late. Goofy's the word. Yeah, and the the outfit she's wearing all the time, and it's it's such a freaky freaky movie to watch. I love it. I think it's the best way to start. I think it really shows you how he can suck you in, make you uncomfortable, but entertain you yeah. from beginning to end. And that movie is how long? Because it feels... 240. Yeah. yeah. It and, does and not it, feel like know, that. It no. feels like an hour. Yeah. Yep. And it's it, crazy and exactly we talk about where... And it's something that horror movies today, and mm-hmm. I don't consider that a straight horror, but mm-hmm. um, do so poorly a lot of the times that they inject this very foreign joke. And, mm-hmm. and and it all seems so, um, you know, when, when Kubrick wants to break the tension, one, it's very intentional. And we already talked about his editing and how he loves editing. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a, a big proponent, or I'm a big proponent of editing as well. I, I think that that's more important than a lot of times the performances. We talked about that with the master and the PTA episode and a lot of stuff like that. Um, but uh, he, he just knows when to break that tension and then to ramp it back up. And mm-hmm. and the use of the camera is is part of that too, and it, it never it literally is like a roller coaster ride that film, like mm-hmm. we said before. Mm-hmm. 
he makes you wait for it. Mm-hmm. You know, when he's following Danny on that tricycle, off. yeah, you're oh, following yeah. him. You know something's going to happen. Yeah. And then that music kicks in, that yeah. sound, and it's like you're just you're in it, and you've been watching for the last forty seconds, just this one whole shot, yeah. and it pays off, right? It just and freaks you out. There's really nothing there. He just he looks at the door and he gets yeah. back on the bike, and, and it runs sounds away. so good. Exactly. Also, the yeah. sound in this film is fantastic. Yeah. Creepiest scene for me in The Shining was um, when he hugs his son in the room. Yes. And oh man, and it's like he's just starting to turn. Mm-hmm. And it's just like it's it is the weirdest. The oh, it's just so fucking weird and uncomfortable. <laughs> it's the only way I can describe it. It's you would just... never hurt mommy and me, would you, daddy? Of course <laughs> not, son. Except then, for there's then, the he... alluding to that one co- uh, one time where he shoved him. Uh, yes, early. the arm yeah. dislocated yeah. the arm, right? Oh man, yeah. yeah. And he gave him. Well, and he knows gives him you like do that. all the time. Yeah. It's one of those things. And it's the yeah. weirdest hug. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the weirdest. Yeah, they're yeah. both very uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, <laughs> man, fuck. It just it that yeah. freaks me out. Man, fuck. <laughs> there was a comment there. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Totally. That's you know, you know, different strokes. For yeah, different Danny folks. is just staring off into space. He knows what's going to happen. No you know, beer, no TV, knows, make home or something. The, something. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the bet. Yeah. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> but anyway, no. Um, that's the thing. Like, going, but going back to it as as an entry point, and one thing I really liked that you said, Paula, was the um, just all the little sort of clues, all the little pieces of evidence that all kind of say different things. I mean, like, I I love when movies do that. I thought one of the best ones that I ever saw was was the Fountain, where it just oh. it was so fragmented. <laughs> I'm not on board with that. Comment. I'm just saying it gives you so many different pieces. It's such a fragmented movie that you could really interpret in any way, and there's so much evidence to support different interpretations. That's true. that's what I'm getting I'll give at. You that. And so something like what you were saying about the shining there's all these are, are they conflicting like do you have to sit down and like do a thesis like yeah. formulate a thesis and write a whole dissertation kind of thing about what is actually trying to be said and is there a right answer or a wrong answer yeah so i love that the ambiguity that's is what i'm saying that's exactly, exactly what i'm getting yes. at so i'm saying yeah. as an entry point um the shining i mean like one it's it's beautiful two it's got recognizable actors mm-hmm. three um it's engaging in that way mm-hmm. so as an entry point into this body of work yeah it's kind of in the middle towards the end but it is one of those ones where it's like, I think there is something for everyone, yep. mm-hmm. whether you're into the aesthetic, whether you're into the English student aspect of it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a strong argument for why The Shining is a really good introduction, but I still don't think it's the best one. <laughs> and it's no, interesting because I brought up the actor thing before the, that there's only a handful of performances in his whole body of work that I, I don't think can be replicated by another actor. And Nicholson is one of them in this film. Um, I th- it's interesting too because we we also alluded to the kind of channeling Cagney a little bit in the in the performance and and there is something about it that as much as I agree with you about you know uh, you've already seen him as a crazy person at this mm-hmm. point and you've just seen him as a crazy person I think it's a different thing because there's a little bit of a feeling of a of a classic acting quality to it where it's almost a it's it's clearly larger than life and intended to be that way whereas Cuckoo's Nest isn't is intended you're intended you're supposed to connect with that person on an emotional level because of the way they act to a certain extent and i i think in the shining it's it's a different thing where um it's a caricature absolutely a little bit and and it's it's an amplified human yeah. but it's 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 breathtaking breathtaking performance mm-hmm. an interesting thing i noticed too because i obviously just rewatched the movie several times over <laughs> um <laughs> a lot of free time last night, I, <laughs> last night. <laughs> 
I'm sleepy. Seven no. times. Seven. No, three. three. Um, <laughs> so uh, I noticed different things and different perspectives in life. And the first thing that got me in that movie is when they're driving up to the hotel and Danny stands up and leans over the seat. And I'm like, that boy's not strapped in. Why is that kid not strapped in? Like, it's just such a different uh, Because time. back then when my parents put me in the back of the station wagon you with the wood panel, like, and I didn't sl- give a fuck. slid yeah. around, right? And I'm but so it's lucky so I'm alive. Like, yeah. Lolita has a scene like that too where he, she climbs over the seat yeah. and then he's like, you can just lie down if you want. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, these movies are timeless and you relate to them in different ways as life progresses. And I think that you get to live through them differently. Like I can imagine going crazy. So now I see, you know, how the mom would feel, how Wendy would feel watching this happen to her family. I can understand how, you know, he would feel going crazy, like how Jack goes nuts. I can understand how the child feels. So I think perspective it takes you through a different journey in all of his movies. And I think they all have that in them where you relate to them. And th- I think that's what makes you most uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable with relating with things that are not inappropriate, but socially accept- unacceptable or taboo. Yeah. So, yeah, I could totally go crazy and chop well, up my family if I'm at a hotel for five months in the winter. The you just remind this is yeah. the point I wanted to make earlier. But I mean, it's Munchausen's by proxy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, but no, I mean, that's the kind of thing like in one regard. Yeah, it's a time capsule. Very mm-hmm. much. You're looking at like, you know, like just the, the, the clothes, um, mm-hmm. the lack of technology, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so like, yeah, it does it does sort of make it very other, very foreign where you're just kind of like, OK, this is fantastic. Having like larger than life characters yep. and performances and that kind of thing. It really does make it something that's safe to watch because, you know, it's not real and it's not now. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, something like The Simpsons reinterpretation of it yes. modernizes it. And yeah, <laughs> you don't want to get sued. I'm not going to even try an accent today. I'm sorry. But um. But I mean, that, that kind of thing. So there's that. But then, so that, that sort of uh, normalizes it for you, like mm. contempor- recontemporalizes it. That's a word. Mm. <laughs> yep. We'll, 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 but, cut but, it, we'll cut it so that it turns Recontemporalize. Wow. Now, and then just put the gummy Venus in there somewhere too and more bad edits. But anyway, so I've got to stop with the Simpson references. But the other thing is. Uh, Do you? Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I like, yeah. It's, yeah. But you know what? Though? I, have, I, I have found my I've people. I've been saying the shinning all week. I'm like, I'm going to be talking about the shinning. The shinning. I, <laughs> but, I was but, actually just going to say, like, the thing that I remember, like, when I think back to The Shining, the first thing that always comes to mind is, hmm, that's strange. The blood normally gets off on the second floor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, the, the Simpsons adaptation. Which that, in the, the actual floor. film, not in the <laughs> Simpsons adaptation, that is an amazing shot. And it's yeah. totally oh, yeah. the that, setup for everything else that you see on mm-hmm. camera yeah that's that's the moment where you realize like oh fuck i'm not doing anything for the next two hours right yeah. and now was, like, when I, I told you in the in the first segment there when you were like what was my introduction it was watching the shining in my parents basement mom yeah. being like she specifically said oh when the blood gets off the elevator i'm like fuck because like clearly she hadn't seen a movie <laughs> in like 30 years off. at that point yeah. and she's just like yeah but the other You'll thing never forget to, that right no but i mean but the thing is is just like uh, oh god i hate you guys but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the other one was there's this the, the, the series of memes that's kind of going around like Facebook and, and uh, Instagram and all that kind of shit right now where it's like they show this like beautiful like log cabin in the middle of nowhere. It's like, would you live here for six months for one yeah. million dollars? I'm sitting in my head like, yeah, I absolutely would. I'm totally about that. I would go live off the land for six months for a million dollars. I could get away from Toronto and like do this kind of shit. And then mm-hmm. you think about the shining, shining. right? And that, that's when it takes on that timeless quality. So, yeah, it's a time capsule, but it's also timeless. And that's really cool that it can be so like mutable and, and, and have that like quantum superimposition of what the fuck is this movie 
Why, mm-hmm. why is it resonating now? Is it because it harkens back to a different time that we all find nostalgic or is it because this is actually like a universal truth? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And where so, do I get a snow cat? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the horror movie as well in the era that we kind of came up in um, was really changing in style a lot where it was, I, I mean, we, you know, we come from, from basically the era of jump scare movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that, that was painful. That Which is not re- scary. It's no, annoying. No, it startles you. <laughs> Whereas a, a movie like um, like The Shining, I think, is one of the one of the later examples. Like, obviously, if you go back and watch a Hitchcock film or something like that, but, yeah. But some of us, which ironically really... is is how I got to mm-hmm. Kubrick, was like a, a, Hitchcock. Hitchcock was my conduit. Like but, I said, North by Northwest, and then mm-hmm. here but you the, go. The Shining is really a movie that is shot like a a like the the shots are are what are frightening i think mm-hmm. more than anything more yeah, than the yeah. content yeah. more than the story there's no jump scares really there's it's like suspense. Well, yeah, yeah. i think the story's got elements to it too though because yeah. you 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 it's traumatizing like we talked about with with you with the jurassic park like the raptors having nightmares about raptors that's a con- <laughs> like it's a yeah. family movie and you're just like <laughs> eight years old having nightmares about raptors mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with a kubrick film where you're 25 and you're having nightmares <laughs> about bleeding walls you know like it's yeah. just... or even just to talk about the shots like even when the scene where like the kid is kind of like talking to like the groundskeeper or yeah. whatever mm-hmm. and he's lying in bed oh, so there's really like nothing specifically creepy about what's going on that but it's the build-up in the shot no it's also specifically pretty fucking creepy <laughs> it's got, yeah he's but no, I know what you mean, and that's the kind of thing. I mean, like, just it's full of those these little like non sequitur like jump cuts where it's just like, what the fuck is going? Okay, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's I, but the same. thing is, but you're not you're not even desensitized to it by the end. You're still kind of like like again like uh, riding the bike forever, waiting for something mm-hmm. to happen. Yeah paralleling that with jump scares you know i mean like all these kind of things where it's just like he's really kind of fucking with you and and acclimatizing you to it but never making it familiar never making it not unsettling mm-hmm. you know and i mean that's that's pretty impressive too that you can do it for almost three hours yeah <laughs> consistently you know funny fact that i found I when reading facts. yeah it's kind of an interesting <laughs> well it's not that funny but so, so <laughs> room 237 apparently that actual hotel that they used for the outside shots mm-hmm. they asked the the original book said room 217 was mm. it two yeah 217 and apparently they changed it to 237 because that room didn't actually exist in the real hotel oh, cool. but after the movie everyone kept requesting 217 because of the movie so 237 well, or 217? 217 217 okay so while the managers of the hotel at the time were worried that people wouldn't want to stay in room 217 right. because of the movie it actually made it more popular interesting right so i thought that was kind of neat because i would totally stay oh, in that oh room, yeah absolutely like, abs- it's like and, i want to go yeah. there and i want to go to hogwarts and that's it like. <laughs> hey you can get the shower curtain now apparently well i, I went to room, i went to universal washroom. studios it was pretty cool amazing there you go any final thoughts ladies and gents on uh either the shining or lolita i think they're both fine entry points i think they both have their qualities but i just don't know if it's the definitive you know conclusive recommendation for for the the the, the newbie Okay, well, don't worry. When we well, I'm just going to keep arguing with you. I'm, I, that's, I'm just building tension. Okay. <laughs> so uh, just before we go to break then, 
obviously you guys have, are kind of figuring out if we're doing from oldest to newest and then back and forth uh, that way. So it pretty much eliminates everything from Kubrick's catalog before 1962. So Spartacus is out of there, Past Glory is out of there, Killings out of there. None of us are taking those films. Uh, and obviously with the newest being The Shining, no one's taking Full Metal Jacket. We apologize for that. I know there's a lot of people probably screaming right now because uh, it is an amazing film. No one's taking Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, and uh, I don't really count AI, but I guess, you know, we we would allow it if someone really wants to argue it. So out of the films remaining, we'll come back in a minute. And uh, East and uh, I believe Devon or sorry. Yeah. East and Devon will be going next. Mm-hmm. I think. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> All right, if you like checking out uh, new and upcoming bands and you like listening to people have discussions while getting progressively drunker and drunker, I very much recommend that you check out East's show, Drunk With Power, which is available to listen to at uh, drunkwithpower.libson.com. Himself, Tommy, and Norm are hilarious, and they play some great music. You should really check it out. Also, uh, check out Devin's uh, video game discussion panel show uh, with him, Devin H., uh, Dave, and uh, Ian. And they do uh, a lot of interesting topics on, on gaming, so check that out. That's available at uh, twitch.tv slash bad underscore enough underscore dudes. That's live every Thursday at 9 o'clock. And uh, follow them on Twitter at bad enough dudes to uh, find out when they're going live and what their topics are. Uh, two really, really cool shows. I'm subscribed to them both. Uh, I know that they're going to be going up in podcast form soon if they aren't already, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, and uh, I hope you'll come back and, and join us as well again next week and not fall in love with their shows and forget all about me. All right, so we're back, and uh, Paula had to leave us because she's got better shit to do than hang out with a bunch of neckbeards. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um... but um in any case i was wrong about the order as i just alluded to it's actually uh east you're you're bringing us home sir and again i really appreciate you jumping on this episode we haven't said it yet but actually your last minute subbing uh taking on the film that the original uh person sitting in that chair would have done so jesse if you're listening uh i hope that east does a, a good job for you and uh, if not, it's all your fault. And also, we're going to help him out a little bit when we do get to his film. Okay? Because we're, we're, we're all nice people. Thanks, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> all right. But first out of the gate is Devin. So what film are you nominating, sir? Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Strangelove, uh, which we came to a consensus earlier, is the best movie that Kubrick <laughs> has ever made. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, it was, it's, um, it's such an interesting, um, period of time. Uh, like the, the cold war is, is such, um, just such a, an absurd topic to begin with. I mean, the fact that mutually assured destruction was like the, the strategy was like the going strategy. Like if, if we have enough nukes that we can completely destroy them and they have enough that they can completely destroy us, then we can have peace. (laughs) (laughs) That that is the path to it. Um, And I think, um, you know, it was obviously, you know, it it was, it was really coming to, to a head at that point. I mean, it it was really when, when uh, like 64, when it came out uh, is kind of the, the timeframe where, where, 
uh, it was a very real possibility that this could be uh, a shooting war. You Absolutely. Know? Um, as, as they say in the, <laughs> the movie of stealing uh, uh, Sterling Hayden's uh, terminology there. <laughs> but, um, it, you know, it, it was it was a much more real possibility than it became in later years. I mean, obviously, um, there were disarmament treaties after that point and, and uh, uh, into, you know, the, the uh, late 70s and early 80s where, where it really um, was uh, becoming less and less of a real possibility. There were, there were real chances of actual peace, not peace by, by uh, mutual destruction. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, I think it's it's um, if you look back in that uh, era in in, uh, in cinema, most most movies on that topic take a very serious approach to it, and really come off seeming a little bit ridiculous because because of course the going strategy was such an absurd thing. Um, of course, yeah. That I think uh, Strange Love stands out as just this amazing, you know, satirical approach to the, the subject matter that really highlights just, just how ridiculous all of, all of the thinking behind it was. Um, it, it, it really was, um, the movie that got me into, uh, uh, Kubrick. I think it was, um, the second one that I saw. And, and after that point, I, I really made an effort to, to go back through the catalog because I enjoyed it so much. All of the performances in this movie were were just absolutely incredible. Going back to one of the things that we talked about earlier, uh, the amount of trickery uh, that that went on in in making that possible was just incredible. From George C. Scott, uh, you know, basically being told that none of his takes were actually going to be used, <laughs> and and you know, just play it up like it's just an exercise, good, like yeah. just just do it real silly. Um, that, that scene where George C. Scott, uh, I didn't mention it earlier. There's a point where he's, he's, um, he's really getting, getting, um, really passionate. Like he's really upset and he's, yeah. he's like, he's pointing at, uh, the, the big board, uh, with all, you know, the, the tracking of, of the planes and stuff like that. And he trips and, and falls, falls over down. That's what I thought and, you were and, for. Yeah. and recovers immediately. Like he falls, <laughs> rolls, and stands right back up pointing at the board. Yeah. I remember like that would, scene always. That's such a good thing to point and, yeah. and again, it's one of those things that like complete accident, like it was not planned. And, and probably he was told like, no, don't worry. We're going to yeah, scrap well, that day. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> and um, – Slim Pickens uh, uh, <laughs> plays the kind of Texan um, B-52 pilot. The pilot, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was only given the scripts for his scenes and was told that this is a serious movie about, about the topic. <laughs> like, he wasn't told that it was a comedy. So he plays it. He plays it. Um, well, not not completely straight. I mean, it is still a little bit goofy because Slim Pickens himself is a bit of a goofy guy. <laughs> but, um, but it, you know... Yeah, <laughs> it creates this tension, um, you know, that kind of offsets the comedy. Like all all of the guys in the plane are are very serious about this, and then everybody else, like all of the people who are supposed to be serious, uh, you know, the the generals and and the president and you know the the ambassador and and stuff like that, they're all they're all uh, just absolutely ridiculous and, and goofy, and then. You've got the guys on the plane who are who are you know very much playing this as a, a serious war movie. It, it's such a perfect film. I mean, I don't I don't really know what what else to say. It, it's yeah. it's it's just such a 
a triumph uh, of you know you can <laughs> you can make a serious film that talks about uh, the the Cold War and tries to make a point, but you're not really necessarily going to get through to people who already have their mind made up on that subject, right? Yeah, it's very true. But I think everybody can enjoy a comedy, and and leaving leaving that, you 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 really get more of a chance to think about it because you're not presented with something that makes such a, a hard decision on the topic yeah. you know i uh, peter peter, peter sellers, sellers in yeah. in multiple roles uh in the film that really unless you know unless you were told you you probably wouldn't wouldn't even know you yeah know? i literally but, had to be sat down and it pointed out to me as yeah. a, as an early teenager like the, you know this is the same guy playing all these roles like man mandrake is very clearly uh sellers and it does um he he drew from a lot of his own personal history mm. uh, on on that role he he was in the RAF uh and he you know was really really just just doing like a a caricature of of a lot of his old um RAF superiors just that kind of classic british like um staunch yeah, yeah like confidence in the face of or or not really confidence but but like optimism in the face <laughs> of just such such awful things going on around you yeah um and then uh you know also playing the president which i think is the the biggest departure from from um you know what what you you see of of sellers in a lot of other films who's kind of playing Absolutely. playing like a deadpan uh comedy uh doing a a fantastic midwestern accent um that that really he he was he's the one that i think uh the character of the president is the hardest one uh to pick out as sellers um in the movie i feel and then also playing the role of of strange love the the german scientist and <laughs> and weapons uh weapons development uh head that that's just just ridiculous just just so over the top yeah with the the uh out of control right hand trying to kill him and, and do nazi <laughs> oh salutes god, well, that's so good. oh god it's it's uh it's <laughs> so funny i mean there's like every scene in that movie uh you know is is just so so memorable like the um uh, a couple of my favorites are, are like the phone conversation between the president and the um, the Russian president or or um, a, a secretary or something like that, uh, where where they're arguing about who's more sorry. <laughs> like, well, well, I have every capacity to be as sorry as you are. <laughs> like, no, I I know that you're sorry, but I am also sorry. <laughs> like, and uh, um, you know, to to. Uh, uh, the, those amazing scenes with uh, uh, Sterling Hayden and Sellers, uh, you know, uh, Sellers kind of gradually realizing how how absolutely insane, um, or, or I should say, the character is Mandrake realizing how how insane uh, Jack Ripper really is. Yeah, although Sterling Hayden is a little bit interesting shall we say if you've ever seen any interviews of him he's certainly a character <laughs> definitely an artist type if you will uh, he um, unique personality <laughs> but uh you know the two of them like you know sellers trying to be so subtle and so careful about um everything he's saying to him like really trying to like get him on his side and be like no no you give me the code and if <laughs> you know when they get in here We'll fight them together, Jack. <laughs> like, uh, just, 
just amazing. Like up until I, I think one of my favorite scenes in the movie uh, is between um, Sellers and, and Hayden. Um, right when um, the uh, the army has has just managed to uh, to storm the the Air Force base. Hayden knows this, and and uh, he he um, asks Mandrake uh, uh, about um, if he's ever been tortured, uh, and he talks about how he he couldn't uh, he doesn't know if he could stand up under torture, and and you know Mandrake doesn't know at all where he's going with this, and it's so obvious that he's planning on killing himself, <laughs> and Sellers is still just or, or Mandrake uh, still the whole time is is just. You know, just trying to to get on his side, like as he walks to the bathroom, like with the pistol in his belt, <clears throat> um, just like <laughs> the the entire way to the bathroom, and even once he's in the bathroom, about to sh- shoot himself, like Mandrake, the entire time is still just trying to bring him over to his side, and then you hear the gunshot, and it's just this realization that's just, oh god, like what do we do now? Yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. I wanted to go back to one thing you said uh, about the um the, the the mutually assured destruction. You said mm. that right off the jump and I wrote down cuz I didn't want to interrupt you mm. uh as I normally would cuz I'm an <laughs> asshole. Right. Uh thank you. Thank you for re- reaffirming that Brent. I got you back. <laughs> With regards to my, you know, quality of assholeness. Exactly. <laughs> quality asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Top-notch asshole. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, um <laughs> When when I was looking into Lolita in preparation for this episode, I uh, there's a, a great um, interview with um, Kubrick's longtime producer where he's talking about at the close of the filming for Lolita, this was something that was very um, prevalent in Kubrick's mind. It was all he talked about. He was so worried about it, and it's so interesting that this is one of those films that almost seems like that kid blanket, you mm-hmm. know, a little bit like his way of granting himself some, some, uh, you know, uh, solace, I guess is a good mm-hmm. word or comfort in the mm-hmm. situation. Uh, it's so interesting that, that the project he went right onto was strange love because he just, it was so heavily in his mind it was something he was worried about it was something that was obviously a big part of society and something that was on everyone's mind but um and 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 i know as you as you alluded to devin that that they initially they they weren't going for a comedy like they they opted a a, the rights to a book right and then went completely off the left field with it you you even see that in the um the uh uh, subscript on the the title of the movie, you know, Doctor Strange Love or How I Learned to yeah. Stop Worrying yeah. and Love the Bomb. Like it is, it is really, um, uh, you know, in, it's very blunt. I am saying that to it's you. very blunt, yeah, yeah. In, and intended to to bring some some comfort to people in that. Look at how insane this this thought pattern really is. Like obviously, this isn't something that anyone would allow to happen, given you know. Until you see, um, you know these these scenes in the war room of just the, the you know these these ridiculous conversations, um, you know that would legitimately have to be uh, they would have to have, of you course, know, to, yeah, yeah. For, for for these 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 situations to take place. It kind of does make you feel a little bit more comfortable with the fact that oh, okay, obviously nobody is this stupid. Nobody <laughs> is. Nobody is this. <laughs> You know this uh, this ridiculous to to actually 
uh, you know, to actually go through with any of this. So yeah. I, I, it it really does make you give you a little bit of solace. Yeah, in, in that. and in that way too, it's also a little bit of a historical document in terms of the mm-hmm. uh, the mindset of the culture at the time. Well, it taps into the zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. But I mean, that's the thing. Like where it is, it it's going back to like sort of the topic of an entry point it's it's such a weird one because it 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 obviously fits because it follows that same sort of model of of kubrick taking something very difficult to parse and making it accessible yeah but in a really unexpected way you're like oh my god i gotta go see this is wild and then by the time you're done the movie you're like wait what just happened yeah you know and it, and it is that kind of thing where it's just like to go completely whole hog comedy like that and end up having such iconic characters and scenes and lines, stuff that's been revisited as recently as like Rick and Morty, you know, yeah. where it's just like, like all that stuff is there. And it's, it's, but it, it's still parallel to like Lolita, where it's like you're making a dark comedy about a very serious universal taboo mm. or the show. You're really getting you know? real serious with this whole debate element of this episode. <laughs> just knocking down all your competitors, aren't you? <laughs> So I'm coming to Devin's aid right now. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, like, but it is right though, because. But I'm just saying, it is that kind of thing. Like, Doctor Strangelove was actually one of my my front runners as a choice. Yeah. Just because, like, it it it's so iconic and universal. Jackass. <laughs> but I mean, like, I, I get it though, and it's it, it is that kind of thing where it's just going like again, like I said, like whole hog comedy on something very serious. The zeitgeist, like, of the time, like everything that's happening, like just the spirit of what's going on. And to give it that like Rocky and Bullwinkle esque subtitle, yeah, you know what I mean, and and just like lay it out there, be like, dude, because the thing is, it's in in reality, it's very scary because it's a very real possibility. But then going to what Devin said, where it's just like nobody's that ridiculous, and to put it in that light, yeah, you know, to be like, no, this is it's actually comforting. insane, and you have to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, this was the only way to do it. And again, it's just another example of, or a really good example, but another one of Kubrick just being like. I'm going to make you think about this in a way you didn't even consider before. Yeah. There's a great, great, <laughs> there's a great quote. Great. There's a great. De- define that, please. <laughs> Very good. Um, okay. There's a great quote. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. I'm staying firm in my greatness. Um, Quote from Kubrick uh, talking about uh, a people, particularly around the time of of um, Strange Love, where where he, you know, a lot of uh, press would ask him, "Well, what were you trying to say with this film?" And, and yeah, and and um, he, he he borrowed a line from a, a famous line of a poet, and I can't remember who it is in the quote I'm discussing, and he said, "You know, I." I said what I have to say kind of thing. And it's so interesting because I, I truly do believe that with all of his films, it's it's not the answers, it's the questions that are important. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's much also what I, I was going to come to your aid uh, with mm-hmm. regards to this film. I wasn't Devin. knocking it down, man. No, yeah, <laughs> you kind of were. <laughs> but uh, was, was that... I think it's an interesting first uh, foray into... Um, Kubrick in the sense that it's you don't have to 
go into it as a Kubrick film. Like, you know, as I said, it's the first one I saw and I didn't realize it was a Kubrick film. Like I was, Mm. I was aware of the fact that Lolita was a Kubrick film, but when I first saw strange love, it was shown to me as, you know, Hey, you like the pink Panther? Well, you're going to, you know, here's another movie that Peter Sellers was in Mm -hmm. and, you know, older people kind of being like, I just want to watch Dr. Strange love. So you're going to sit down and watch with me, kid Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And it is interesting in that way because you can it, it does play on so many levels, much in the same way as like uh, you, uh, I believe it was you, Devin, who alluded to this kind of Looney Tunes element to certain uh, parts of the the film. Uh, in uh, that Looney Tunes very much plays on multiple levels yeah. to an adult, to a child, um, and, and and you can take that away. And to say, for example, the the farmer in rural America or the uh, you know. Uh, upper uh, echelon of the Manhattan socialites, you know, it it all plays. There's something there for everyone in that film. And and, uh, I just, I think it's a very, regardless of my opinions on if you should watch it first or not, I think it's a standout piece in that you can you can literally just bring that to anyone. I don't know if I'm going to knock you down now, Devin. I don't know if it's the best one to introduce Kubrick's uh, <laughs> qualities on, but uh... two faced mother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm joining you. I'm joining the dark side with you, Brent. But I mean, the thing because it's so iconic and and doesn't necessarily come off as a, a Kubrick film. Yeah, you know, you you can sort of jump in there and not have any idea what you're getting into. Yeah. and be mm-hmm. pulled into that world. Yeah, and. and yeah. yeah, even even an appreciation of what he does yeah. as a director. And what's I mean, in his mind. Like, yeah. like we had mm-hmm. talked about with the other films where he does – he gets the performance that he wants regardless. Yeah, and the yeah. shots that like, he wants. You're going to hit your fucking mark. You're – you know, the and we're going to reshoot it a hundred times. And it's, yeah. so, it's so surreal that you have to research it. You have to look into the production of it. Oh, it's amazing. You know? I mean yeah. – The amount of reading that I've done on Kubrick <laughs> over the course of my life. Yeah. Is, oh, fuck. Well, that's the thing. Like, Strange Love was not my first foray. I actually saw it much later. Like, I want to say, like, within the past 10 years for the mm. first time. Mm. Really? Like, I always knew what it was, and I always knew it was important, and fucking, like, just riding the bomb and that kind of thing. Like, yeah. obviously, like, it's been everywhere. I was familiar with it <laughs> without ever having seen it. Yeah. So, so it, it's really good like that. But I remember when I finally watched it, I was like, oh, it is actually genius and stands on its own. Yeah. You know? And and I didn't, even, even knowing that it was a Kubrick film, it, it, it didn't feel like one and it didn't when matter. I came in and that's what yeah. it was right where mm-hmm. it's just like I, I knew stuff like you know Clockwork Orange and Space Odyssey and that kind of stuff and I was just like oh yeah yeah that's Kubrick he's that guy who makes stuff that like you know looks like it was made today but it wasn't yeah. and then Strange Love was just not a departure but just like another facet of it yeah that like I felt responsible to go back and experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's interesting man because like I, I my first experience with like with Doctor Strangelove was I was in I was in grade twelve art mm. and it was like my second period and my art teacher was like near the end of the year and he was like he was a really loose cool guy mm-hmm. um so he would have movies sometimes going on in the classroom or just in his office while he was like marking stuff <gasps> and um and he was the type of teacher where like you could hang out in his office and you could ha- you were buddies with him you could hang out and so I just went into class one day and it was it just he just started Doctor Strangelove. And I was like, what's this? He's like, this is Dr. Strangelove. And I'm like, I've never seen it. And then he literally signed me out of all of my other classes <laughs> that down, day. Son. And was just like, we're going to watch this movie and then talk about it. And he didn't even tell me it was a Kubrick movie until afterwards. Yeah. And at that point, still, the only movie that I'd seen was Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. So to go from like Full Metal Jacket going yeah. back into Dr. Strangelove, it was really... Uh, 
you got a lot of different qualities out of that, yeah, that yeah. same director. That's a great one-two combination. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think um, you know, to say that this movie was uh, a different facet of, of Kubrick, I don't know is necessarily fair, just given there there isn't really a standard of what Kubrick is. Oh, that's yeah. what I mean. It's just like mm-hmm. it's, an, it's another, another... Just a guy who's good like, at everything. Yeah, I mean, two, <laughs> 2001 is a, is a science fiction triumph. The Shining is, is uh, uh, kind of a horror triumph. The Full Metal Jacket is probably the quintessential movie of of the the state of mind of of mm-hmm. the, vietnam. The, the soldier in vietnam mm-hmm. um well, that's something like when i say facet i think of something like like literally like using that metaphor where it's just like it's it's a cut diamond mm-hmm. there are literally different facets to it and they're all sort of different the light hits it differently depending how you look at it and that kind of thing and that's sort of what it is where it's just like all of them are different so i agree with you on that 100 mm-hmm. percent. i didn't mean to say this was the odd one out i just meant it was just like another well, way I, to look at it i know? i think one thing that a couple of people uh have said not necessarily just you i was picking on that one uh <laughs> terminology but but Nobody likes this me, man. Is, I get it. That this is so different from <laughs> from the rest of Kubrick's catalog. I mean, a, a comedy. You know, it's a genre that that is quite different from a lot of the other films that he's made. But I don't think that makes it any different in the in that Kubrick sets you, out to make the the perfect film of this genre. You're right. He's not it, tied down you know? to any one genre. I yeah. totally agree with that. And uh, I I did want to point out one thing that I found kind of funny uh, in looking into. Um, some of the some of the the surrounding um topics that they cover in the movie uh the the dead hand uh, is, is something that's joked about in the movie or i i think they they call it the doomsday weapon or the the hand of death yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that um it's the idea that a a nuclear strike on russia could be detected and they they would create a device that would automatically mm-hmm. without without anybody's without anybody's finger having to be on the button would automatically trigger you know mutually assured destruction mm-hmm. and and uh it's it's they they talk about it in the movie as such a such a ridiculous notion um such such an absurd thing like both uh uh both strange love and the uh the um russian ambassador uh, or the ambassador to the Soviet Union, whatever, um, uh, talk about uh, just how how crazy it is to make something like this. It, it existed. Uh, it, it apparently still exists. Wow. <laughs> um, but they wouldn't, uh, I don't think anyways, that they would have even had any idea that that was, that that was true at the time. I mean, who... Uh, God forbid this this be the case, but I hope he didn't inspire the creation of, oh of this <laughs> this device. But but they do have the ability to automatically trigger the launch of all of their intercontinental ballistic missiles uh, if a a nuclear strike is detected on on Russian soil. Apparently, it's turned off most of the time, but uh, but it exists. <laughs> Russians. <laughs> Any final thoughts on Strange Love, gentlemen? Okay, Brent. Yeah, you're up next, sir. Ooh. Do you guys want some cookies? I'm kind of. I haven't. I skipped breakfast. I could deal with a cookie. Okay, so I'll get some Brent, kick us off. Cookies. Oh man, no, I'm a. I'm talking about a, a Clockwork Orange. Uh, 
it, it was kind of a tough decision, partially because I was added to the panel late, so some of the choices were taken. But I'm still... <laughs> I still, I still stand uh, stand by the choice, and I mean, like, I, I have a bit of a history with that one, as I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, did I mention that earlier? No, I was talking about something else. Whatever, ignore <laughs> me. Just ignore me for the next five minutes. But, uh, but no, I mean, like, it, it's one of those things. Like, I remember writing a, a book report on the the Burgess novel in high school, and then somehow, like, I, I tied it in to the the Kubrick movie, and. I remember seeing the movie. I remember the movie being like sort of legendary and iconic um, and being very, very British. Mm-hmm. And then I remember reading the book and being like, it's supposed to be Russian, mm-hmm. you know? And it was just like that, that, that sort of phenomenon again of Kubrick taking something and putting his own spin on it and bringing it into like his world um, in a way that doesn't feel unnatural, you know, whether it's Dr. Strange love as a comedy or Lolita as like a, a pretty much like a fifties movie, you mm-hmm. know, and that kind of thing. Um, a clockwork orange was one for, for me where it's just like, again, first upon first seeing, and it was just like, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like this. I can't believe there's that kind of violence and just like everything, like the sets, the cuts, the music, I'm just, it's, it's perfect. I don't even like, I can't get into specifics cause there's so many like touchstones. There's so many points for that. Um, but then when I sort of learned about it, learned about the, the alternate, not the alternate, but the original ending in the book, how they changed it for the movie, um, how they changed the accents and the setting and everything, it, it just became, oh, those are great. Great oh. cookies. <laughs> um, but like as, a, as an entry point, um, I feel like, you know, something like, like The Shining seems a little more accessible. Something like, you know, 2001 would be sort of the go-to. But I mean, I look at a lot of those where it's like the movie's either like really plodding or the movie's just like, like just really not quite like anything else or too much like something else. And Jesus, I hate you guys. I want to chew into the bike. So I'm stepping back. I'm still listening. Oh, good. <clears throat> Please continue. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> You should keep this in and not even edit it out. Don't even touch it. Um, no, all, all I was getting at, I, I was coming at this from sort of a compare and contrast kind of thing where it's just like, I'd look at something like, like Eyes Wide Shut as an entry point and it'd be like really interesting, pretty movie, um, you know, and, and, I, and, you know, you can get into it, but it's just not indicative of everything that came before it. I look at something like Full Metal Jack and you're like, it's brilliant and it is very much one of those ones you're like, this was made when and this looks like what and this is incredible. You know, or something something like Doctor Strange Love where you're like, this is iconic and important. But I mean they're all they're all so sort of on their own in a way where it's like, is that the introduction you want? Do you want the 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 surreal introduction? Do you want the horror introduction? That kind of thing. And I just feel like a clockwork orange was kind of like the punch in the gut. You know, it is that one where you're just like, this is beautiful. This came out, you know, like like in the seventy one, yeah, came out at that point and just doesn't look like anything else, and is iconic in a different way, like Halloween costume iconic, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And you're just kind of like, oh, this is everywhere, and then you see it and you're like, holy shit, this is brutal. Mm-hmm. And that sort of like, as an entry point, I look at it like dude like you're coming and being like oh there's this cool thing and they have delightful accents and weird slang or whatever and like what are they doing to that woman you know and yeah. it, and it's just that kind of thing where it just it really sets the stage for what kubrick does to you yeah you what know was, what was the scene for you the, that makes it like 
the quintessential Kubrick introductory when, when, movie. When they, when they break into the house and yeah, just yeah. like ravage everything, <laughs> like that was the one where I was just like, I want to live in that house. Yeah. I want to be a part of that time, but I also don't want to be afraid of these people <laughs> doing these things. And it's just so surreal. I mean, like the whole sort of world they live in, the whole sort of like town just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And it's just so, it's like these vignettes and these weird pockets, but it's all related, but it just feels so, so strange. That uh, ramped up nude scene. Oh God. Yeah. I heard a story about that, that it, um, Malcolm McDowell was saying that like when and they shot it, it was like they, it was actually a one take that they did in like three hours. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Um, I may be quoting that slightly incorrectly, but I know one take, long, long period of time, super awkward experience for him. But yeah, um, it it is a really interesting piece and it is definitely a standout piece. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, because I have this problem, I want to ask you about it. I've only ever seen Clockwork twice in my life. And if you notice... You've listened to a handful of these episodes, and you've been on a handful of these episodes. You know that a lot of times when we're talking about films, I'm like, I've seen it a dozen times or 45 times, and people think that I'm making up a number when I'm actually saying the real number of times that I've seen the film. So when I can say, like, for example, um, Full Metal Jacket, um, haven't seen it in a while, but I've seen it four or five times, uh, or Strange Love, same thing. I've seen it like 30 times, like a Mm -hmm. lot, a lot of times. And I'm just th- – this one seems to seep into your brain in a different way, doesn't it? Yeah, like the fact that you've only seen it twice and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, and, and the fact that it is sort of like permeated culture to this day, mm-hmm. like ever since. And it, and it's just – I don't know. It's just so weird. Too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like Bart's Halloween costume. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that kind of thing. But I mean like – I don't know. Like I'm I'm having a hard time sort of like formulating – a concrete way to put it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it is just one of those things that is really, really unsettling and not in like a creeping, shining, something's off kind of way. Not in a strange love like, oh my God, this is such serious subject matter that we're addressing this way. Not like Lolita where you're just kind of like, I get this and this is, uh, you know, the archetypical anti-hero exploration just from a different angle. Yeah. A Clockwork Orange is just fucked up. Mm-hmm. It's just so weird. And the fact that it exists and the time it came out, and I know I'm repeating myself, but I mean, mm-hmm. that's the only way I can contextualize it no, where no. I'm just like, this is one of those things you see it once and it does something to you. Yeah. And so that's what I feel like just as an introduction is a good example of that, where it's just one that just immediately, like you said, seeps in your brain, gets its hooks into you. You do this and you're like, what else has this guy done? Mm-hmm. And it gives you an appreciation for the, the, the subtler nuances of the other films where you're kind of, you're looking for it because you're just like, if he's made something that's so powerful that I miss something in the other ones, Yeah, you know? And much like The Shining, it, it has that uh, one point perspective mm-hmm. shot Oh yeah, for much of the film. Like he, he does it a lot. And it, in that way, aesthetically, uh, very much uh, a, a great jump off point. Aesthetics alone. Oh yeah. To just be like, this is the 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 camera is driving my understanding of the tension in this scene. Um, so interesting. And that's the thing. Like, it, I'm, I'm, it, I'm trying to remember, but like the shot when he's sitting with his like friends in the milk the mannequin, bar. Or, yeah, oh, yeah, with the. Sorry, we're just sitting there, yeah. but sorry, but that long shot, like moving yeah. towards it, and like the the, the just the, the music going with yeah, it and everything, yeah. and it's just so creepy and slow, but faster than 2001. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not that thing where they're forcing you to sit there for 10 minutes. It's they're just one of those ones, but it's just long enough. And I just 
I've seen that shot like remade in like cutesy animal video games. Yeah, you know, and, and that kind of thing where it's just like. It's just so effective and like I don't I guess I have to do more research, but did anybody else do that? Or is this like Yeah. Is this like him just inventing these incredible perspectives and approaches to very, very strange things yeah. that nobody else can do better, so we just steal it. Well, yeah, like you know? we said in the first segment, it's very much he his his style, mm. his visual style very much feels like uh, you know, a photographer or mm-hmm. uh um an artist or uh, a sketch artist or something of that sort where you know, it's it's a visual composition. His mm. compositions are unmatched in a lot of ways. Well, that's the thing. I've always been a, a, a proponent of, in terms of photography or filmmaking or anything like that, like if you are able to compose a shot, yeah. you can take that shot on your cell phone and mm-hmm. it will look great. Mm-hmm. You know, and... And the fact that he's working with like incredible technology at any given point in the history and of his, his career, own, and yeah, and yeah, inventing own, stuff yeah. and and that kind of stuff. It's just like that coupled with that that eye for composition, yeah, that that wherewithal, that sense of just like I know exactly what I want this to look like, and if we can't do it, we're going to find a way, yeah. And that's the kind of thing. So it's just that combination of of technology, um, ingenuity, and vision, mm-hmm. you know, and just like and I feel like this is one where it really fully realizes it in a way that. I don't know. It's overwhelming in a different way than all of the other films. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and I feel like that's a good thing. That's the kind of thing that washes over you and makes you become a fan, even if you hate it. True. It's one of those True. ones where it's like, oh, I don't like that kind of music, but that band is really good at that kind of yeah. music. Yeah. You know, like that sort of parallel. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's what A Clockwork Orange is for me. It's literally one of those ones where it's just like, even if it's the most disgusting thing you've ever seen, even if it's like a really triggering piece for some people, it's just one of those ones you're just like, you got to be like, but it's so well done. <laughs> It really is, yeah. yeah. The Shining also has a lot of the same elements, to go back to that one, visually. And those two films are probably two of my favorite films to look at. Yes. Um, or to talk about the aesthetic of. You know, I I have a special, special place in my heart for Strange Love. I have, um, you know, Lolita is, like I said, Lolita is a cipher for other things for me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, uh, you know, like there, all, all of his films, there, there's elements of it, but when you just want to talk about pure filmmaking, there's definitely something with those two in particular, there's something just so special there, you know, as well as others, everything, everything he does. Amazing. Location scouting wasn't a huge part of a lot of his other movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a lot of stage sets that yeah. they had built and, and I think Clockwork Orange, um, in establishing that, that sort of non-specific uh future uh you know it's it's you can tell that it is at some point in the future but can't really you know they don't give you a frame of reference uh for that but but all of these uh these locations that it's uh that it's set in um just just have such like an interesting an interesting look to them this this very um sterile uh um uh, I, I mean, I don't know. What no, it is. It's all very know. clean. Yeah. A lot of white. Yeah. And not like a 2001 kind of way, though. No. You know? <clears throat> like, it's a very real-world, surreal balance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not fantastical. I think that's a word. I yeah. um, but, um, oh, fuck, what was I going to say? I lost it. Go on. I, I still <laughs> do find it a very difficult film to watch at points. It's a very disturbing movie. I yeah, mean, it it's is. Not, oh, yeah. not really a way around that. And that's um, that's kind of my point. That's why I feel like it's one of those ones where it's just like you get the full sense of Kubrick. 
So your thought process is... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, no matter how many times you watch it, like... Mm. It's still shocking. Oh, yeah. Like, that... Yeah, you know? Like, there's some movies where you're like, you can get desensitized to it, but it's like, no matter how many times you watch A Clockwork Orange, it's like, I'm still going to... No, and it's surreal, but it's rooted in everyday reality. Mm -hmm. It's not in some secluded cabin or, like, lodge in the woods or in the mountains. It's not on a spaceship. It's Mm -hmm. not, you know, of a different time. It's – because – sorry, that's what I was going to say, Devin. When you said, like, it's not really of a time. Like, it could be modern. It could be in the past. It could be an alternate reality. But it's just one of those things where it's just everything's familiar enough Mm -hmm. that you feel like it's a part of your world, but you can't quite figure out where, but you just know you don't ever want to go there. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So – do you feel like the best approach into this filmmaker's work specifically is almost that ripping the bandaid off? Going yep. the, yeah. That's going what I was the... getting at. Cause I mean, like what I was saying, like pre Lolita, we're talking almost like something for film students who are going to have an appreciation for that or, or older people who, um, that's a, that's a bygone era for them. And there's a nostalgia like to girls? it. Right. Pre Lolita. <laughs> but, but I mean like that kind of thing, but then everything sense is, is in terms of, uh, you know, technical achievement and that kind of thing. You almost have to have that conversation with the new viewer to explain why this is important. You know, you have to be like, oh, it was made at this point, or it was made doing this, or this character had never done that before, or this was like, you know, you have to be Wikipedia to really get people to appreciate it. Whereas A Clockwork Orange is one of those ones where it's just like, you're immediately just like, what the fuck? And, well, and you know. It's true. And it is, and that's what yeah. I mean. Like, so if you're introducing somebody to this body of work without trying to be an esoteric movie nerd. Yeah. Throw them at that and don't let them leave until it's over. Literally, do put the their fucking yeah. eyes open and make them watch it. Like you know, like it's it, and it is. I, yeah. And that's that's a beautiful point. And that's the thing: the fact that it sort of you know gets to that point, builds up to that point, is pretty much what the movie's doing to you. It's it's not fourth wall breaking. What's the word? There's a there's a there's a term for this, and I'm totally blanking. I should have slept more. Well, if you want to think for a second, then we'll just cut it. Oh yeah, <laughs> but no, but I mean, just but that kind of thing where it does it does it does sort of resonate and relate to the audience in a way that you don't really realize is happening until you go back on a podcast and talk about it. Yeah, right. I agree. <clears throat> you guys have all picked good ones so far, so um, let's take a little break. Mm. We'll come back and we will uh, hear uh, East's adopted pick, mm-hmm. and uh, and then we'll wrap things up, bring it home because it's uh, it's going to be past my bedtime soon boys if you have an idea for something you'd like to hear on the show please email us at show at moviesruinmylife.com or reach out to us on twitter and however you're taking part in this episode please don't forget to leave comments share reach out to us so we can keep the conversation going okay so we're back and we have one film left to nominate east are you ready to rock i am ready all right, let's do it, sir. Uh, 2001 is um, a film yep. um, oh. done by uh, Stanley Kubrick. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, this is a great... It's, a, it's, a, it's pretty much the space movie. Um, I first time I saw it, I was like 18. I was driving with my dad, and we were just like talking about stuff. And he was telling me about how when he and my mom first... like. I think they either just got married or it was like in around the time where like they were engaged. Anyway, um, and they went to go see a space oddity at the Cinis- at uh, the Cinesphere down at Ontario Place when it would just play regular movies. And my dad said that the scene where um, he puts sorry, the- sorry, space oddity, yeah, space that, oddity. Who, who's that uh, oddity? Was that the David Bowie movie? Oh, shut up! <laughs> anyway, I don't need this shit. 
Anyway, let's talk about Peter Schilling for a second. <laughs> um, Sorry, go on. Anyway, so they go, so they go to the Sinister to go see the movie, and the part where he's like out in space and you hear the breathing in the helmet. Mm-hmm. He said, "My dad noticed that he was breathing like that." Oh fuck! <laughs> and then he stopped, and then he looked over at my mom, and eventually realized that everyone in the theater, without even realizing Sweet. it, was breathing like that. Oh fuck! So how cool would it be to go to to go to the Sinosphere, yeah. see that movie, and to have an experience like that? Usually, That's super immersive. Like na- wow. Yeah, like nowadays, the only time people actually ever end up feeling anything is when they're going to get sick when it's a handheld seat. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, but that's how much people were really into that movie and not to mention its influence in, you know, life influencing art, yep. you know, like it's sorry and how, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, like when people first started using sorry, I was the one being like, well, I don't know, Dave, and people are looking at me being like, I don't get that reference. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is just, this is just terrible. Um, just hand them a fucking DVD. Oh, yeah. Um, and then they look at a DVD like, this isn't Netflix. <laughs> um, but, like, the movie, it, yeah, I would say it is definitely probably one of the best to introduce for, you know, somebody that doesn't know who Stanley Kubrick is because it has influenced every, especially a lot of these space movies that are coming out now, like The Martian and Interstellar. Interstellar wouldn't be shit yep. without a space oddity. Odyssey, sorry. Yeah. Like, let's, let's, I'm gonna keep messing it up. <laughs> no, it's because I had the door open. I'm sorry. You're like freezing to death. Now. Um, and yeah, like, it's just, it's, it influenced everything. Yeah. You know, um, it's interesting too because, uh, if you, if you look back at the films that came out for the next decade, really, they, they were all kind of 2001 knockoffs oh, in cool. that look genre. At the first Star Trek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, pure ripoff yeah well, you know well the yeah the panoramic some of those shots, shots of the right ship were, and, yeah. <laughs> and didn't do the same thing at all no, you know it was no. awful and like in that movie hey, 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 no not the movie was awful yeah. but i mean those scenes the shots just kind of like yeah, i get what you're going for but there's yeah. no place got, in this movie i got things to do let's <laughs> yeah, get to exactly them. and for yeah. com- and for coming out in 1968 yeah like see just say that again that this movie 2001 came out hmm. in 1968 yeah and still like was untouched yeah. mm-hmm. in its special effects yeah in its how it captured like s- space yeah you know with the orchestra music and everything exactly. going on um it was just very 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 uh beautiful and you can get you can get stuck you get sucked in to 2001 and you don't even nowadays let's face it there's nobody really big in that movie that's still really like yeah. out acting that's a seriously huge name you know Absolutely. what i mean like a new person getting introduced to stanley cooper isn't going to know any of those actors mm-hmm. but they're going to get sucked in because of just how you know he takes you on this ride and then a mat you know getting stuck in space with this fucking howl yeah you know it's very and terrifying. it's interesting too because it, it, it creates an interesting moral dilemma mm-hmm. just the howl character uh, it's it, it's really interesting that 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 mindset coming out of a, an era <clears throat> that preceded it of very much, you know, those serialized sci-fi, like Flash Gordon, all of these sort of things, to go to this stark, clean uh, world where the, the one of the most uh, obvious character studies, to a certain extent, mm-hmm. are, or is, how. Mm-hmm. Um, and and how he interacts with the humans mm-hmm. is so interesting because you you get that 
Now, a little bit of it kind of borrowed even in something like Blade Runner because you were, you mentioned Ridley Scott with The Martian, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just the idea of like what is humanity um, playing a role in, in Dick and, and, and a lot of other uh, sci-fi writers of the time, but not really coming into film um, and, and until this film and then everyone kind of subsequently doing it not quite as well. Mm-hmm. And Star Wars came along and changed the landscape again. But this film just sticks with you mm-hmm. for some reason. There's just something amazing about both the visuals, the, the the sound, even when there's nothing there, it's so methodical. Oh, yeah. The editing is beautiful. It's just it's something... and, and also really as as it's as beautiful almost as it is scary. Absolutely, because you know you look at that and you watch that movie, and I'm not gonna lie, that's it's at a time when you know we're landing on the moon. Mm-hmm. Space exploration is a very big glorified thing. And here is a movie that comes out which makes you realize that going out there is a very scary thing. Yeah. Space is, you know. And it's so interesting how you <laughs> you have this very sinister moment and like uh, when when Hal kind of first starts to go off the tracks a little bit. Oh, yeah. You know? it's, a, it's, a, it's the one. <laughs> I can't do that, Dave. <laughs> you know, he's still being very nice. <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, think about it this way, like. 50 years ago, nearly, mm-hmm. right? And so prescient in terms of the implications of advancing technology in that way, mm. having an artificial intelligence like that. And I mean, it's very, very relevant right now. Yeah. We're talking about things like really? self-driving cars, making a judgment call of if the person in front of you makes a mistake, do we kill you or do we kill the three children on the sidewalk that our sensors picked up? Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck the yeah. car is going to kill you. Your own car is going to kill you to mm-hmm. save three other lives. And we're putting our, our fate and our faith in this artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And we're not necessarily having a conversation with it, but understanding that that's that sort of lesson, that sort of cautionary tale that 2001 is, mm-hmm. but 50 years ago, yeah, it's still very, very relevant. Very like that's that's why like it's still in your mind. That's why it's still you know so pertinent. Mm-hmm. Just because I mean it's it's it, it like I said prescient. Mm-hmm. Like technology wasn't there yet, but like man, people could extrapolate and get there and be like, oh shit, oh, yeah. what are we doing? Mm-hmm. And not and and oh. no, that's such a great point. It really, really is. Mm-hmm. And and. and we're we're entrusting nowadays mm. uh you know the greater good of man into uh, you know almost turning mm. it into an equation mm-hmm. of sorts and it's very interesting that 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 was a discussion topic mm-hmm. a half decade ago amazing no or half mean, century ago rather wow yeah. <laughs> 5 years yeah, wow yeah. 2000 yeah no what but film I mean, like, are we talking about yeah. but even even you know look at like the whole like the financial collapse of a few years ago you know, and I mean, a lot of it is just automated algorithms that are like, oh, this will work and we'll get rich and that's kind of fine. And it just sort of disregards the greater good mm-hmm. or it becomes programmed to to prefer certain uh, demographics, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's again like it becomes the question of who's designing it and does it go off the rails or is it doing exactly what it was supposed to do? And we just didn't have the forethought to see that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, like, again, like I look at 2001 as much a technical achievement in a beautiful movie and and and, and that kind of thing as very much so also a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing, like with, uh, 
you know, with the special effects in that movie, like in 1968, you had a woman walk around full circle, mm-hmm. you know, and you just didn't, you didn't see that. No, wrap your head around that concept. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and at the, at the same time, like you have this, uh, this, um, as you perceive it, this conniving, you know, uh, AI, mm-hmm. uh, kind of sabotaging the mission to a certain extent but in its mind because it's foolproof and and Mm -hmm. (laughs) incapable of error Mm -hmm. it's uh it's um you have the humanity on the other side with like going after uh the dude who's like oxygen is severed what's his name is that fucking pool yeah Uh, yeah yeah it's pool okay cool so um going after him like at a desperation to try and save your fellow man Mm -hmm. and all these things there's so many levels of this film just it's terrifying Mm -hmm. uh because of of the humanity you can find in it Mm -hmm. i also find that it's also (laughs) it's a very like the first 20 minutes of the movie is you know the Kind of like, you know, establishing of humanity using, you know, he gets the bone and he realizes that this is the first weapon Mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever else. And then it just warps into this whole different film, you know, Um, that's very Kubrick, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and I think today, like, that's also just shows how good he is, is that a lot of I don't you couldn't get away with doing that today. No, nope. you could not have an audience that would slowly sit down for twenty minutes, like a studio executive, would not be like, "I can't let you have monkeys beating bones for twenty minutes." Yeah, can't have you doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta you gotta cut that into five. <laughs> you know, and yep. get them in space. Get them in space, and I'll give you money. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, it's just a it's a great film. I don't know quite more what else to say. I came in. Yeah, you came in cold. I I really appreciate it. I feel like we're not doing the justice we should to to this film. I'm sorry. No, it's all right, Devin. Anything we can you'd like to jump in and add? Uh, I mean, it's it's certainly my second favorite. I I mean, it does. I think what a lot of people have trouble with with this movie is that last um sort of third or so, like I I was kind of alluding to earlier, where mm-hmm. where he um uh. You know, it it starts um, showing the nonlinear representation of time without really explaining the nonlinear mm. representation of time. Yeah, because you that get that older a, shot of him, right? Yeah, and yeah. then it, it it switches between, uh, you know, the scenes from the viewpoint of of the old him to you know your frame of reference switches from old David Bowman to young David Bowman, and um. And it, it's frankly just, just a little bit confusing, I think. Um, I, I think it's impossible not to be a bit, a bit confused your first watch through if you haven't actually, if you haven't just read about the film prior. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as, as uh, successful as I think the film is at creating a visual representation of that, especially for the time, I mean, good God, 1968, it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, like, he, like you said, before it that's just such an insane thing to think about but but you know it's still um it's still i don't know uh, if it was entirely successful at at kind of um 
giving you the the context that you needed. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that um, that end scene. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You kind of already have to be completely, you know, you have to suspend disbelief fully and entirely and not come back to kind of follow that movie through the end. I see your point there. Yeah, that's... And when he's transformed into the uh, the Star Child, is it? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I don't know. That's just <laughs> it's just a bit ridiculous. But I mean, like I can't help but notice parallels between that and Interstellar. Oh, there's so right. many. Oh yeah, absolutely. obviously, obviously, absolutely. You know, like an homage, just under the surface kind of thing. Like it's overt, but it's not the point of Interstellar. No, right? But I mean, like you said, the 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 scene with the walking in a circle. Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing versus, you know, them like going through the space station, mm-hmm. floating on and just perspective and gravity changing and that the, kind the of thing. The weightlessness of the pen at the beginning when mm-hmm. he's in the, when he's just going up and he's watching that thing on the TV behind the chair. I totally just described yeah. a scene from The Martian talking about Interstellar. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, no, but I mean like the thing is in the end, like when it, it at, at the, the sort of the final chapter, the second to last chapter, when it just gets weird. Yeah. And how do you wrap your head around that? You know? But um, I think part of that disorientation is... uh is part of the experience. No, that, that's what I'm getting at, right? Where it's just like, this is some very high-minded stuff. Mm-hmm. This is some very serious science. Mm-hmm. And how do we how do we convey that through film? You know, and so like, is it successful or as successful as it could have been by making that accessible to general audiences at that time? Yeah. And then looking at something like Interstellar now where it's still very science-heavy <clears throat> and still very, you know, difficult to digest Mm -hmm. is it sort of doing the same thing and showing us that it's still really difficult because the average film goer is just not you know of of that mindset of that level of education yeah they want to see like space fights and you know yeah intergalactic struggles and whatnot Mm -hmm. yeah no. I mean, like, I cried during the new Star Wars, and I also cried mm-hmm. during Interstellar. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But, I mean, for different reasons. <laughs> that was the sci-fi genre before this film, too. I mean, it it uh, <coughs> it was very much uh, the grandness of it all. Like, you know, just, just all of these stories about how, how amazing um, the future could be of, of humanity as a, a star-faring civilization you know and mm-hmm. and uh and just just monster stories and hero stories and and yeah um all of that being being uh, you know kind of what what people's uh idea of science fiction was yeah. at, prior to that movie and you do see such a hard change in the generation of filmmakers that grew up with that movie Mm-hmm. Well, there, there, there's influence of it everywhere. Well, it's it's almost as if Kubrick, when he made 2001, said it's okay if you want to make this kind of science fiction movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and not to mention like the special effects in it. I think it was it got like what two or three Oscars for special effects. Like, I'm not certain on that, I, Devin. Would you mind yeah, pulling I can look it up? That up real quick. Well, you're yeah, it up, I mean, it, like... yeah. Aesthetically, it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it's no like the last Starfighter, but yeah. <laughs> yes. 
But, Which I've heard rumblings of them considering bringing that film back. It needs to come back, but I don't know how. Yeah. Oh, I, man. I don't know if it needs a remake, a reboot, or just like I a I feel remaster. like a reboot's the way to go. Something cognizant of its uh, predecessor, as Devin would say, to completely paraphrase something you said on three <laughs> other episodes. Unless they kept it in the 80s. Yeah, but I, I don't want to see a remake of that story, you know. It was uh, Academy Awards for Best Visual Effects, Best Director, and Original Screenplay. There you go. Oh, there you go. There you go. Excellent. Three. Also nominated for Best Art yeah. Direction, which fantastic. That's a somebody stole that one. Yeah, who yeah. won that? Yeah, <laughs> real asshole. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's some movie that we have no fucking idea what it is nowadays. Oh yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I, I guess that's it. Where it's like 2001, as as dense as it is, mm-hmm. as esoteric as it is, as plodding and as much of an investment for the audience. Yeah, as it yeah, is. it really is. It's very long, drawn out space shots. So, too. so as yeah. that as an introduction to Kubrick, I mean, like I I think it's a really good example because y- whether you know what you're getting into or not, whether your friends like, dude, you got to see this. Mm-hmm. Also, get comfortable. <laughs> yeah. like you know and that kind of thing or it's just like go home and watch this and let me know if you finish it <laughs> you know what i mean like that that kind of thing where it's just like i think it's a it as, as an entry point it's a really good sort of test of whether you're up for the rest of the body of work or not yeah mm. you know in a different way like what i was saying about a clockwork orange where it's just like this movie is going to beat the shit out of you but you're not going to be able to help being intrigued whereas with 2001 i feel like are, are you going to commit you know? Yeah, and so it's it's a, it's, it's a call to action of yeah, sorts it, for the, yeah. the yeah. Like I think they're both really good entry points. I think everybody's had really good arguments, but it's more so what? How do you want to present Kubrick to someone? Yeah, like, what's your barrier of entry for them? And I think <laughs> two thousand one now might be easier for the sheer fact because you got movies like you know The Martian, Interstellar, yeah. that, and everyone's always talking about. You'd be like, well, did you ever see two thousand one? No. Well. That's the thing. Like, if you love you the Martian and the, and the the, the, sort of the science and the character in it, or if you loved Interstellar with like the hard science and mm. the the humanity to it, like a completely different kind of humanity than the Martian. Look yeah. at that, and then throwing two thousand one in there mm. and being like watching that and be like, that's where it all started. Like, how can you not <laughs> yeah. think of two thousand one when Matthew McConaughey is talking to Tars? Yep. You know, same Absolutely. thing in Moon with uh, Space. Oh. Oh. oh yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. I can't believe Moon. we're just bringing that up now. Yeah. Like <laughs> like Sam Rockwell yeah. talking to basically Hal. Like yeah, right. Spacey's new Hal. Mm-hmm. Great movie, also. Oh yeah, but uh, it, yeah, this I was uh, actually I wanted to mention I was on the uh, Wikipedia mm-hmm. for this movie when we were at break, and I was looking at um, uh, a quote from from lucas george lucas that's on it and just being like no one has ever done space like that visually pleasing or something to that extent Mm -hmm. i don't have the quote up anymore but no one makes space look like that no one can make a film look like that Mm -hmm. uh in the genre and it's you know it's it's incredible like you've got everyone from spielberg lucas Mm -hmm. uh scott all of these very well-known, very well-respected directors that just turn to Kubrick and go, like, this guy's the man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think with 2001, like, all those other movies take place in space, mm-hmm. but 2001 is a movie in, like... A, yeah, it's in, true it's sci-fi. In, it, that is, yeah, it's in space. It's true sci-fi in the sense that, like, it's about humans in space yes. it's about their interactions with technology it's it's not about space lasers or anything else it's mm-hmm. it's about 
it's a, it's a really really an interesting take on on the genre mm-hmm. and very pure take on on the genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Great. Yeah. Any final thoughts uh, on this film, gentlemen? Uh, I think I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. That was really satisfying, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want to say anything stupid. I watched it last night between the hours of 2 a.m. and f- like 4.35 in the morning. Seven, yeah. <laughs> um, any final thoughts on Kubrick as a filmmaker, as a, an artist, as a anything? Gentlemen, before we bring things I just, home. I wish there was more. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I also feel like, again, like... Earlier, I was saying, you know, pre-Lolita is very different. And I have to admit, I don't have a lot of experience with pre-Lolita Kubrick. Yeah. Um, and that's some homework I got to do. Yeah, you should definitely do Pass the Glory. That's mm. a great one. And The Killing. Mm-hmm. We already Pass talked the Glory, about is that, that also Kurt uh, Douglas? Uh, uh, I haven't seen that film in a long time, man. Okay. But it, it, it's definitely, if you like... For example, if you like the visuals in Clockwork Orange, like what we were talking about, mm-hmm. then you'll see a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. It's like, holy fuck, it's it's the guy who shot Clockwork Orange filming a black and white war movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's fantastic. Um, Devin, anything to bring us home, sir? Um, I, I, I think we, we touched on it earlier, but it's worth reiterating. Uh, just a man that looks at his genre makes the perfect film for that genre and then goes the fuck home. Like just <laughs> just mic drop every time. <laughs> yeah. just, yes, I can get behind that. Just yeah. uh, even even going going into today, like I I don't know if there's if there's a a comedy that I've seen since Strange Love that really really touches me in the same way. You oh, know, man, I, like the Emperor's New Groove, dude. Like, I don't, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't I'm so know. Sorry. I don't Tang know. was pretty amazing. <laughs> I don't know if there's a science fiction film that really, really, uh, as a whole package, does what 2001 does. Yeah, so, you're right. It's just high watermark after high watermark. Oh, yeah. yeah, just across the board, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what else? What else is there to say? Yeah. yeah. There is nothing else. To I, say. I, I, Kubrick I, made this movie. Drop the mic. <laughs> what do you got? I'd say he's probably the best, the best commercial director to question, like people. Yep. On a very humane level. Yep. Better than any director and not provide you with a single answer. No. Make you endeavor to do it yourself. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, man, yeah. By far. May I bring it home, gentlemen? Please mm-hmm. do. <clears throat> okay, so remember, this is just the beginning of the conversation. We want to continue it on with you, and clearly we really, really do with this guy. Uh, we can't say enough. Uh, we could do another fucking four hours of this episode, in all mm-hmm. seriousness, which... Yeah. On the movies, we just didn't touch. On, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's another huge section of his catalog we barely broached, which I'm sure we'll have to do another day. Um... If you're listening to us on iTunes, you can check us out on YouTube. We always have clips of, of the episodes up as well as audio versions of uh, the episodes. If you want to say, for example, listen to them at work, incognito, or something of that sort. Uh, if you're watching <laughs> us on YouTube or some video viewing device, uh, please uh, check out our, our podcast. We talk for hours and hours about things that we obsess over like a bunch of jerks. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, your podcatcher of choice, whatever that may be. Um, also, our website's going to be up soon, so please visit us at moviesroommylife.com. 
And um, if you want to continue this conversation on with us, please uh, reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at not Brandon Fleet. You guys want to offer up your Twitter? Okay. I'm at Ant East. And I am at Twice Sliced. Right on. I am at YR underscore homeboy. Cool. <laughs> your homeboy. And I'm not oh. sure on Paula's. She had to take off a little early, but what we're going to do, we have a list on the uh, uh, Movies from My Life Twitter, which is at Mermel Podcast. If you want to, uh, you know, jump on the bandwagon there of uh, getting all kinds of other weird content that we put out through our Twitter feed. Um Go to the list section and find everyone that's been on the show. Uh, they're they're all there's a there's uh, one that's called uh, panelists something like that, and you can subscribe to that list and and get everyone's crazy thoughts that are part of this panel. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I know this has been a long one. Um, it was really rewarding, though. I feel I had a great time, guys. So thank mm-hmm. you so much, and and to Brent East, both of you guys for jumping in last minute. I super appreciate it. Um, and and to Paula who had to leave, fantastic. She did more research than any of us. Mm-hmm. Just amazing. She had notes. Yeah. <laughs> I, and 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 Devin, fucking great choice with Strange Love, bro. Like seriously. Agreed. Um, notes. I had the entirety of Wikipedia. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm on camera, so I didn't want to pull up my phone. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Thanks for hanging out with us. Wait, 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 w